Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. First of all, Happy New Year, gentlemen. It is officially 2015, and we're still feeling a draft. I see I've been joined by, oh, please fill my heart. I believe I've been joined by not only the redoubtable Jim Coburn, but by the one, the only Mr. Pete Smith. Hey, how's it going? Woo-hoo-hoo. Now it's getting fun. So I'm going to assume, I'll stick with you for a minute, Pete, that things are all as good, I assume, in the state of Ohio now. Oh, I mean, look, they 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 not only won in spectacular fashion, despite their best efforts late, they slayed the beast that, that was Alabama, which comes with any number of, of uh, uh, issues that they've been battling for the past 15 years or so. Yes, exactly. Uh, things both tangible and intangible, I think, were won in that in that uh, in that moment where it was clear they were the better team. It wasn't wasn't a fluke. They didn't sneak up on anybody. And I'm gonna. I, I, I almost thought about saying this a while back, and I you know lost my nerve. But in a weird way, I think it helped them to have Cardell Jones. One, obviously, the other team hasn't seen a lot of Cardell Jones. They don't quite understand his skill set the way they did either Braxton Miller or, uh, or J.T. Bear. And then two, Cardell Jones could do things the other guys can't do. Cardell Jones could throw a ball 82 yards, I hear. <laughs> That's a short list of dudes who can do that, a very, very short list. Not that you need that in a game situation I and mean, you're not going to throw a ball 82 yards except like a Hail Mary kind of thing. But, but the fact is the ball gets there faster than – I mean, Miller has a good arm, and Barrett has a, an above-average arm, but this kid, yeesh, you know, Carl Jones has a hose, as they say in baseball. I mean, he looks like Jamarcus. I mean, he just does. He's a dump truck. I mean, he, I mean, <laughs> he uh, you know, Alabama had a ton of size, and I mean it. I mean, there were times where Alabama players would be hurting themselves trying to tackle. Yes, you know, he knocked out game. two linebackers. He got on quarterback runs. He knocked out two of their inside linebackers. Now, I don't think either Braxton Miller, who's pretty thickly built, or J.T. Barrett, who's well, not so thickly built. But I don't think either of those guys could have done that. No, I mean, it, 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 they, Braxton's certainly more of a speed power combination and, and JT's, you know, more interested in, in protecting himself as he should be. Uh, yes. but, but I mean, as big as, as, as 12 gauge looked against Alabama, I, I think it's going to be notable just how much bigger he looks when he plays against Oregon. Who's, you know, yeah. they've got, they've, it's not that they're Kirk Herbstreit really wants you to believe they're, they're, you know, not soft, but at the same time, they aren't big. And Alabama right. is enormous, uh, you know, with those 250-pound linebackers. And 
And Oregon doesn't have those guys. I mean, even their defensive linemen aren't, you know, aren't as big. They have two or defensive end that's as smaller than he is. Right. Yeah, they have 255 pounders, but they aren't playing linebacker. Exactly. They, if you're if you're 250 pounds and 200, or 260 pounds at Oregon, you're not a linebacker. You're a defensive lineman, or you're a redshirt, or you're a freshman offensive lineman redshirting because they get you up to 280 something. Uh, I see. Oh, 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 it's a full house. I see. We've been joined by the California kid, rejoined, I should say, by the California kid, Donovan James, and of course, Mr. Coburn. And it's officially a party because we got Mata Hardy. Ain't no party like a Mata Hardy party because the Mata Hardy party don't stop. <laughs> hey, buddy, how's it going? Oh, it's 2015, Mr. Hardy. I hey, crawled my way out of a well, not test bed, but I fought back influenza, which tried to claim me and my voice, and said, "No, <laughs> I am doing my show." Hey, that's right, man. You got to do it sometimes. You got to fight it uh, when you accept that you're sick. I think that's when you stay sick. And you know me, man. Uh, you know, I woke up today, and, you know, it might have been just four degrees when I woke up, but beautiful <laughs> day outside in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Midwest as a whole has a little more strut in its step. I mean, we're we're all Ohioans today, aren't we? Yeah, if not for a day, then for a few hours last night. <laughs> for a few hours last night, exactly. At least for a few hours last night. And I, w- I was saying that I thought, I mean, in a weird way, I thought it was an advantage that Cardell Jones was the guy and not the two guys they kind of had the book on, but this, you know, X Factor, this guy who was being called, you know, uh, Cardell Rafflesberger and Cardell Culpepper and all kinds of stuff. Um, first of all, why do you think Alabama had so much trouble with him? And then, two, do you think he'll be able to do the same kinds of things against Oregon? Uh, well, well, one, first off, you know, I, I thought, and I'm with you, I still feel like if JT was playing, I don't know. I'll say this, uh, Cardell's got a special type of arm, and, and he can go down the field a little bit better than JT, and that was made very apparent in both his starts. So uh, the advantage, Cardell there, for sure, uh, but I felt like uh, one thing about JT is he's a little bit more rehearsed. So some of the sacks you saw, the near safety, uh, those things will happen to Bears by center. So, you know, it's just a matter, I guess, of experience at that point. Uh, but moving uh, on to some things he did, uh, Cardell Jones and the way he played was a great deal of the reason why I thought Mississippi State would beat Alabama. Uh, he did some things that Death Prescott prides himself on doing, you know, getting those tough runs. That's really how you beat Alabama. It's not necessarily, you know, on in first and ten and second and ten. It's sometimes those third downs, uh, third and long, especially third and short, and he was just able to kill them with his big arm and then just getting the little yards here and there, scrambling, uh, just, just, you know, uh, the little things that he was able to do with his feet uh, and being as powerful as he was. Uh, Bama wasn't able to throw him around and really rattle him when they hit him the way they do some of the other quarterbacks they played. And and let's be honest, you know, uh, they, they played some very good quarterbacks, but they've also played some very bad quarterbacks. So I'm going to go on the record and say that they played some below-average quarterback talent this season. Um, and, and I guess it's go-figure for Bama, though. But uh, Ohio State, they went down the field a lot, and they kept going back to the one, kept going back to the one. I'm thinking, you know, Landon Collins is back there. Eventually he's going to get picked off. I mean, this can't really be happening. But he kept doing it, and he kept doing it. And on that last touchdown throw, I mean, the, the defensive back was chasing uh, the receiver there, and he just kind of tripped, fell, and just kind of ate dirt for a while. And I'm like, okay, I guess it's just, I guess it's just meant to be at that point because he had it, you know, pretty well covered. He was just being, you know, 
getting beat by just a little. I thought he'd had a chance to make an athletic play on the ball. It just didn't happen. Um, and then there are some other plays where it's like, man, you just you just can't let that happen defensively. You can't. Uh, but the front four, front seven of Bama was stout as usual. Reggie Raglan, uh, you know, everybody showed up. And their linebackers are massive. Like, I'm looking at these guys like, what, that's not a defensive end? <laughs> you know, these guys are like 60 out there and running at the yep. speed they're at. It's just, just, bam, it's just, just something you don't expect to happen. I'm not sure Bama's linebackers are completely human. But uh, one thing that did surprise me is that they still were able to pretty much hang up front. Uh, they didn't impose their will, but they weren't dominated at all. You know, it was kind of like a back and forth. They won uh, a few uh, plays, and they also lost a few plays. A lot of give and take there. It was a tug of war. Uh, but that's where the real battle was fought. Uh, Bama's offensive line and defensive line played a great game. They just didn't dominate the way they have all season, and, and, and that's what they needed to win that game. Uh, as far as what Cardell Jones can do against Oregon, uh, I think they're going to be tested a little bit here because I don't see a scenario where they're allowing the 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 uh, deep balls uh, the way they did uh, last week. I think they did a good job. And they showed uh, Jameis, you know, they, they keep it buttoned up pretty well up front. If you have a deep threat, they're going to make you run the mediocre routes and get the yards the hard way. And so the thing about Cardell Jones is, you know, put together a drive. And that's going to be the way they play him. You know, you want to beat us, fine. It's going to be an 11 play uh, 90, 80 yard drive, 12 play, 13 play, 14 play drive. That's how you beat us, and they got to take the chances that way. Uh, for Cardell, just going to be focused. Um, struggled a little bit with pocket awareness. You've got to be able to feel it. I'm, that, that comes with really experience, you know, and, and just you know, uh, entrusting your line and your system and just being able to feel it. He's not quite there yet, and some people aren't through their first two or three starts. So uh, he's just got to you know feel the pocket better. And he's got to continue to take good care of the football. I mean, yeah, he did throw the interception, but he had a chance to give up a fumble on that final draft for them, and he had a he had a chance to really turn the ball over a lot, uh, almost gave up a safety. So for him, uh, this team is a very stable team. Just don't make that big mistake. Uh, and I found it very important, kind of uh, what Lou Holtz said a little bit before the game. Uh, if he said, if I'm Urban Meyer, I tell him, hey, I'm I'm on the sidelines. I'm always open. Throw me the football. <laughs> you know, uh, you know don't, don't, don't throw it to the other side. Don't, you know, take a chance down the field. Uh, don't take Urban, it out of this game. Urban was a decent little possession receiver in his day. I'm old enough to remember Urban Meyer as a wide receiver. That was his position. Yeah, yeah. So so that that's the thing right there. Don't make the big mistake. Feel the pocket. And just uh, just realize that every play is not going to be the home run, and maybe even less now. So you got to hit a few singles, you know, to score that run. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. And one of those things I never thought I'd hear myself say: the better coached secondary that I released of the two that I was watching is that is Oregon. Um, Alabama's secondary, but early and yeah. often. Yeah. And I kind of that was the thing I did call. I thought that, and this is. Saban's pride. He's an old defensive back himself. He cut his teeth as a defensive back coach before he became a, a defensive coordinator. I guarantee he rained down blood and thunder upon them. Um, it's not going to be a pretty meeting room when he gets those those D-backs uh, alone with the film and him and the defensive coordinator and the defensive backs coach. First, he's going to ream the coaches good to make sure that they're going to lather it up when they get to ream the players, and he's going to ream the players himself also. That I promise you, um, as a former defensive back and defensive backs coach, that's his thing. You know, I mean, that's if you ask yeah. anybody which meeting room does Saban spend the most time in, they, they won't even hesitate. It's the D-backs room. He spends the most time. That's the the group he's the most hands-on with. That's not. I'm sure he didn't sleep. He hasn't slept. I I will bet you anything. He has not had a lick of sleep. 
second. Yeah, and 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 they and defensively, you look at you know Kirby Smart, Nate Saban. They called a they called a good game. You know there wasn't times where they weren't unprepared. You know even those up tempo offense, uh, they looked fairly prepared throughout the game. They they kind of knew what they were seeing. And they just couldn't come up. I mean there's so many times uh, that it really looked like they had Ohio State dead to rights. Uh, they drive dead to rights, and then there's a touchdown, and there was a long run, and then there was a third and nine conversion, a third and eight conversion. You know, they they got to get off the field on third down, and they couldn't do it. And even worse, uh, you know, they also struggled to stop the run. Two hundred and fifty yards given up, and just eighty of those were on that long run. So you can't say it was just that. You know, so I was shocked that you know Ohio State's offensive line. Uh, they did the thing, <laughs> you know. They that is no small task, and, and Alabama's front is just so deep. They rotate those defensive tackles to keep them fresh, and they don't lose any ability at all on the field. So uh, to be able to impose your will here and there up front, they did it well. And uh, and, and I guess that's the way you got to play safe. And people were critical of, you know, Myers play calling uh, there later in the third or fourth quarter. When you play safe, and, you know, you can't say, oh, we're going to dink here and dunk there. You know, you got to you gotta go for his heart. <laughs> you know, you got to bomb it down. You can say it, but you got to take what's there. You know, if if they're hugging up and the linebackers are dropping deep, the ho- the hole isn't where it normally would be. The hole is down here, outside, and thirty yards down the field. And though that doesn't make you feel all warm and fuzzy as a head coach trying to protect the lead, you got to go where the where the money is. Yep. Yep. And so that's the thing. And Saban's, you know, a very greedy coach. And that's what, you know, your better defensive coaches are that way. So um, I don't really have any critique at all. And I think if you look at the way the game was called, it's just really an example maybe on Bama's side of just how offensive coordinators can outthink themselves. Uh, I think Lane Kiffin's done a phenomenal job all season. I think he's a great offensive coach. But in that game, at that moment, uh, that's when the older Bama teams went – their old offensive coordinator, I can't think of his name right now. That's when Vanilla. McElwain. Yeah, we McElwain. Yes, Captain yep. Vanilla. Yes, McElwain. Yeah, that's when Vanilla would have won on that game. Because, you know, there were some runs in that game. But I'm sure you saw where it looked like, uh, you know, uh, Henry had gotten it together and, 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 and T.J. Yeldon was down the field and they were just breaking off big runs. And so, uh, you, you know, Vanilla might have won the name. You put in a fullback and two halfbacks, you know, and do the Stanford thing, man. Fullback, two halfbacks, and two – enormous tight ends that are 270-something pounds each and just see if you can bully them all day long. And that might yeah. have worked, but then you go down, maybe once you fall down a certain number of points, you get, you know, maybe you get scared. I'm going to move on to, uh, to Donovan. So, Donovan, first of all, what are your impressions of the game and what do you think were the things that decided that game were? Um, I have to start with the offensive line. Um, I thought they were going to get um, all the front. That, that Alabama D-line is no joke. Um, you know, Jonathan Allen's one of my favorite guys going sports. I mean, they just got tons of guys. I know they don't even play Deshaun Hand. He was the number one defensive tackle in the country. He barely gets any snaps, so that's how deep they are. I mean, most teams would have to play that guy right away. The D-line's amazing, but um, all the line um, play by Ohio State just got better and better through the season. Um, yep. They look weak um, the beginning of the season, and, uh, you know, they lost a lot of guys, you know, led by Jack York, those guys up front. Um, that's what control the game for me to give uh, Cordell uh, Jones that time um, to throw the ball, um, throw the football. And Urban Meyer, um, I feel like Urban Meyer is the best coach in college football. Um, there's no coach I want for one game more than Urban Meyer um, because he just won semifinal game of the third-string quarterback. I mean, Cordell Jones was pretty – and, you know, just 
I, I just really thought that Alabama would win in the trenches. And like I said, I mean, Urban just called a beautiful game. Yeah, the third quarter play calling was questionable for some people, but like Montel said, you got to stab him in the heart, take his heart out, eat it, you know? <laughs> you got to be um, aggress- the aggressor, you know? You uh, when you're Canada. going against Kirby. <laughs> when you're going against Kirby and you're going against uh, um, Nick Saban, you know? So I just think hats off to Ohio State. Um, and the fans and everything, they definitely deserve it. They, they proved me wrong. They uh, played a good game. But, yeah, um, of course, Zeke, you know, he, he ran the ball really, really well. Had a kind of coming out party. He hadn't seen a lot of Ohio State football. Um, he had, like, two, over 200 yards that game, um, all type of touches, you know. Um, spread the ball so well for him. Um, so that was a big part of it, too. And, you know, I, I think going forward, uh, versus Oregon is going to be a classic, man. Um, I think it's going to be a really good game. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's going to be um, as high scoring as people think. I know both of those teams put up a lot of points. Obviously, Oregon put up like sixty, <laughs> and uh, you know, Ohio State put up forty-two or whatever. But I, I don't think it's going to be as high scoring. I think they're going to um, do some dig and dunk things. Actually, they're going to try to throw it deep. And I don't think it's going to work that great. Um, like again, like Montel said, uh, you're going to have to create drives. The eleven play, twelve play drives. Um, versus that Oregon defense, um, it's pretty. It's the best defense they've had. I know Aliotti is in there, but uh, it's the best defense they had. I mean, physically, um, big up front with Armstead and, and uh, Buckner and Balducci and those guys. So they'll do a good job. But uh, yeah, like I said, impressed with Ohio State. Um, I just think their offensive line controlled the ball game at the end of the day, um, giving him time to throw the football um, consistently, not getting beat. Um, and that was Alabama's strong suit to me. That's why I thought they would win the game was their defensive part. So in the trenches, man, you know, you, you go up against the SEC team, um, usually has an edge versus you, whoever you are in the trenches. But uh, not this time. Ohio State definitely showed up to play, and they were physical. You know, this is a very physical team. It's a different type of Ohio State team. Now, they've always been physical, don't get me wrong. They just have the speed on the outside to match now. So that that's another key. But, um well, we know they're fast. I mean, they're a faster team. They got the little guys, but they're a faster team on the outside. Devin Smith and uh, Zeke and, and those guys. Uh, Jeff Herman, pretty fast tight end as well. So, I mean, just going forward, I think it's going to be like I said, a classic game, and uh, I can't wait to see that O line go up against uh, another really good defensive line. This is one of the better defensive lines in the country. They're going to have two guys. Um, a lot of people think are top 100 type players. Um, like I said, with Buckner Armstead, so it's going to be an interesting matchup. And, and another one more thing, Tom Herman called a great game as well. Um, yep, could have been easily distracted. Um, I love Tom Herman. You know that, Bill. <laughs> like the guy yeah. for a while. Um, Houston's going to – they won their bowl game today. They're, they're going to get a hell of a coach. They're going to be right back up top winning 9-10 games a season um, down there in Houston with Tom Herman. Um, he can do wonders with that quarterback they have, the new one, Ward. Um, but, yeah, Herman, I mean, despite the distraction – Great game. Um, could have, you know, <laughs> not cooked in the game or been a, his head could have been somewhere else, but uh, it wasn't at all. You know, called probably one of his best games of the season uh, besides yeah. the Wisconsin game. So kudos for uh, Buckeyes right there. Okay. So, Mr. James Coburn, once again, thank you always. Uh, great to have you, Jim. Wrap this sucker up in a bow and then we'll move on to some of the other games. One, um, what do you think we learned about both teams from this game? And then two, uh, how, where do you see you know these programs going after this? 
Well, I mean, I already told everybody I thought Ohio State was going to beat Alabama, but nobody you did. believed uh, You know, they thought I was crazy. They're like, oh, come on. Alabama has more NFL players than Ohio State. I'm not even going to get into that. But, you know, they – I mean, you look at the Wisconsin game. I watched – I mean, I don't know. Maybe people didn't watch that game. They went up against a pretty good Wisconsin offensive line. That's strikingly similar to Alabama in terms of size and, right. in terms of, and the way that and, and style, both sides and yeah, style. style. And they performed really well against it. They should. They pretty much contained Melvin Gordon for most of the game. Who I think is a better, I mean, in terms of speed and and quickness, is a better back than you know Derrick Henry and stuff like that. So I was looking at that. I'm going, come on, like. Like, I know Ohio State has speed. I know they have speed. That's the one thing we all know about Ohio State is that in the Big Ten, they have more – they're faster than pretty much everybody right. for the most part. Yeah, um, right. As I said, Urban Meyer was going to open the, you know, the Midwestern branch office of the SEC. Right. And it's not exactly 100% SEC, but it's pretty darn close. You know, like, it's, it's a mercenary university when it comes to recruiting. So, you know, he's getting guys that – would probably be in the SEC that are now at Ohio State, at least a, lot, a good a good chunk. So I look at that. I looked at Cardell Joe, and is he the most? You know, does he make some throws that are not that great? Yeah. Does he? You know, is he? Does he play like a third string quarterback at times? Sure. But the giant human being, you know, who has a rocket for an arm, who can make some really pretty throws down the field, and is playing in an offense that. I'm not going to say it's plug and play, but it's, you know, at least with Urban Meyer, he's had a lot of success getting quarterbacks ready that, you know, he's had to deal with this before. This is nothing new. <laughs> you know, he had to deal with this last year through 30 that would, would Miller miss some time. So this is nothing new for him to get a quarterback ready. Uh, and in the Wisconsin game, he really, I mean, Jones had a really good game. Um, and Alabama's overrated. I mean, they're an overrated program. I mean, this is nothing new to me. <laughs> Uh, not to say that they're a bad football team or anything like that, but I just think that people who thought Alabama was back or that they're going to go on this long three-year dynasty streak is no. So that's what that is. Uh, I mean, I, I just saw the game, and I'm like, you know, Ohio State's probably going to win this game because, one, Saban's secondary is terrible, like you said. I mean, Bo Wallace had his best game <laughs> At least one of his best games ever against Alabama's secondary. <laughs> Cole Wallace, people. So That's Cole what Wallace, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Cole Wallace can have one of his best, you know, games ever. Why can't Cardell Jones have a pretty good team? You know, and, and he was bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything. Um, in terms of throwing and not making as many mistakes. Uh, in terms of decision-making. So I just looked at that. I'm like, you know, no, this is – this is going to happen. Now, I didn't I, – I thought it was probably going to be close because it's a national championship game. I wasn't expecting, like, a blowout. But I wasn't expecting it to win just because that's just the way it is because Alabama's secondary is overrated. Lanny Collins is overrated. He's, you know, he's a really good, strong safety type. But if you're talking about a Hall of Fame guy, not really, you know. He's good. He does certain things really well. But I don't really see him as this, you know, spectacular – type of guy, you know, and, and overall, the, the, I mean, again, the overall, the secondary is just, meh. the linebackers are kind of overrated too. The defensive line is is giant, but 
most of them don't really know everything they need to do yet. You know, <laughs> like they're still learning stuff. So that's is what it is. Uh, I called it. I called everybody. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys knew or not. I don't know. But um, I expected this. Florida State, uh, Oregon, I didn't expect. I didn't know what to expect is the better way to put it. Either Oregon was going to just completely destroy this overrated Florida State team and just embarrass them on national television, which is, you know, what some people might say happened. Or it was going to be a close game, and then for some reason Florida State stays in it and then ends up winning it. Well, obviously the opposite, you know, the, the former happened. Um, it's just what it is. Florida State's overrated team. They're not as good as they were last year. The offensive right. line still had its issues. I didn't think Jameis Winston played terribly, but he definitely felt like he's played the whole season in terms of being, you know, having some inconsistencies and making some mistakes. And Oregon just did what Oregon does. They score points, they score points, score points, they score points. They're like a little robot. There's no emotion for the most part. They just go out there, execute their offense, and, and put up points. And then you either stop them or they're going to keep putting up points. Um, which is what they ended up doing. Um, the only thing I can really say is I know there was a lot of unsportsmanlike stuff at the end of the game, you know, with the Florida State leaving and not shaking hands. But then again, no means no what's happening at the same time. So I kind of get it, you know. That's a little not not nice, guys. So, you know, no. I mean, I you're trying to do your thing. Like, I would even leave the field. I'm like, I understand shaking hands and stuff, but, I mean, that's, that's not right, <laughs> you know. But, uh I don't know, but as far as the game upcoming, you know, Oregon, Ohio State, I don't know 100% how it's going to go yet. Uh, I will have to go back and watch the tape, as they say, both teams, to really get a good idea of the matchups and stuff like that. I would say Ohio State has a good chance of beating them, and I, I just say that because it's Urban Meyer. I hate to say he knows what he's doing, but, I mean, he's been here before, you know, like <laughs> um, this is what he does. Uh, it, I, I, I believe in Ohio State's overall talent. Um, I think that there are some stuff, there is some things about Oregon's uh, team that can be exploited matchup-wise in various areas. So if there's one guy to do it, it's Urban Meyer. So I have to say I'm I'm on the Ohio State train, you know. I'll have to go back and watch tape to to confirm this, but that's just how I kind of feel about it because I think overall they have the athletes to match up well. And it's just a matter of uh, that defense of Ohio State figuring out how to uh, play discipline and uh, not let, you know, not let Oregon get away with too much stuff. Okay. Marine Pete Smith back. So there were other games played. Uh, as was mentioned, obviously, Oregon, Florida State, uh, Michigan State, and Baylor. And there was a good number of games played and some wild finishes and Fun stuff, and then obviously not so fun stuff in the aforementioned uh, Florida State Oregon game, which stopped being fun for Florida State about slightly past the halfway point. What are some of the things that you think turned the tide in those other games uh, for you in your mindset, Pete? Well, I fully expected Oregon to just rail Florida State. That team was not good. They played very little. It was just it was going to happen. I'm, I'm almost surprised it wasn't worse. Uh, you know, that was an ugly game. The, the Baylor game was interesting because Baylor's putting up all these numbers, Petty's throwing everything, and the whole game, Baylor can't run the football at all. And nope. you're sitting here going, how 
how in the world is Michigan State unable to get stops, get the ball back, and do something when, they, when they've made Baylor one-sided exactly like you would have wanted them to, and then finally it starts mattering, and then even after Connor Cook throws that Braden Whedon back, backhanded uh, flip interception that goes to the house, they still manage to get the ball back. Petty throws for 500 or whatever yards with a broken back or whatever he's got going, and uh, onset of uh, osteoporosis in his advanced age, and then <laughs> they couldn't close it out. They just couldn't do it. And, you know, Michigan State stuck with it. Connor Cook made some big plays, and, and they were just, you know, tougher, better. You know, it comes back to can you win up front? And can you uh, can you run the football? On the other hand, if you were if you were you know a big Sean Oakman guy, you know he had the Marcus Hunt game where he absolutely dominated uh, Jack Conklin, who for some reason people think is really good. I'm not sure why. I, sort of, I mean, he's he's a nice young player, but I, I heard some people talk about he was one of the top five left tackles in college football, which made me scratch my head, but he just, he killed him. Uh, now, Oakman yeah. has hinted that he's going back to school, but if he were to declare, uh, that would have been the game to go out on relative to how well he played. Now he needs to learn how to bend, as did Marcus Hunt, which is currently a, a gigantic bust so far. Uh, and if he doesn't address those problems, he could have the same exact uh, issues going to the, the pros. But, uh, you know, that was good. I was surprised Auburn lost to Wisconsin. Uh, hmm. Joel Stavi is the quarterback. You can't lose to Joel Stavi. And, and to credit to Joel Stavi, he's terrible. But he had a pretty good fourth quarter. He made some big throws. I give, you know, he saved every seemingly every good throw in his entire career for one quarter of football when Wisconsin needed it most. Melvin Gordon did <laughs> uh, You know, I'll, I'm just amazed at how sort of, I, you know, this whole season feels like Auburn was flat for some reason. It just never seemed to work. I thought they were going to be great the whole year. I mean, you know, some of these games they got down by two touchdowns. I was like, all right, that's fine. Malzano will get them going. They'll, you know, they'll they'll come back and just continue to score points. And you know, they just didn't do it. And I'm a huge Cameron Cameron Payne fan, but you know, they just didn't have enough guys, enough weapons to get the job done. Melvin Gordon goes out. You know the the way you know he he he'd love to you know chasing after uh, a record that doesn't really mean anything because of Barry Sanders doing it in few, fewer games and more far more production per game. But uh, that was obviously a big big game for for the Big Ten to win uh, with that. And then on top of everything else, you know the Big Ten wins these three big games uh, the first time they've won three bowl games on the same day since 2000 and then all of this is and then they get Jim Harbaugh to Michigan so for I mean for for a conference that has been sort of laughed at all of a sudden they're they're you know credible looking and getting better but the the one thing everybody's got to stop with is speed everybody is fast everybody in the country has speed it's the biggest nonsense load of crap because when we get to the combine you'll find all these all these track guys from tiny schools who run four twos. Everybody has speed. The issue is not everybody has defensive linemen, which has always been the SEC strength. They had, were always better than everybody else when it came to depth and having talented three hundred pounders who could do do damage up front. And now some of those guys are trickling out to other places. 
you know, like Joey Bosa is not quite 300, but, I mean, he's sort of that J.J. Watt build type. Uh, and, and just some of these guys right. are absolutely you enormous. Oakland is a guy that people would have assumed would have been at a, quote-unquote, traditional powerhouse program a few years back. What do you start out at Penn State, which I guess counts. So, I see you've been joined by, let's see, is that Mickey? Who's joined me? Somebody just joined us from North Carolina. Uh, hey, everyone. Oh, you're back. This uh, is you are, yep, happy new year. Happy new year, everyone. You're always good to, always good to see you. Happy new year. Uh, so, Donovan, you are our West Coast correspondent. Um, how are the you know, the Pac-12 representatives assessing, one, what they're going to do going forward as they face the new the juggernaut that Ohio State has become. And then, then after that, tell me what you what your impressions were of the other games you just discussed. Oh, what was, the, what was the first part of that question? The first part of it was what do you think uh, the approach, the game plan will be for – Oregon going forward as they face Ohio State. And then, secondarily, I say, what were your impressions of the other games we just discussed? Oh, okay. Um, kind of similar to what they did um, versus Florida State, I just want to say this. I think Mark Elfridge is um, – I, I think he's the best coach um, Oregon's had. I know I love Chip Kelly. I love Mike Bellotti, Rich Brooks. Um, I think Mark Elfridge is the best coach they've had. I think Mark Elfridge is a better coach. Um, all around, um, and Chip Kelly. But he just does the little things you need to do. Um, the adjustments him and, and, and Coach Frost made at halftime, um, what their offense didn't look that great. They had 18 points. Um, they, were, they weren't getting beat up front or anything. They were just uh, – they just, they just waited, you know. Um, they, some teams can just wait, and then they can go boom and explode, and that's what they did. Um, I think Helfridge is gonna Devin Allen's gonna be out for the national championship. That's a big loss. Um, Devin Allen going down the first play of the game, which was horrible. I think that uh, he could have been used greatly yesterday, and they could have put up more points, like Pete said. But uh, you know, I, I just I, I think uh, they're gonna do a lot of things running the football. You know, keeping Ohio State on the sideline, keeping that explosive offense on the sideline. Roy Freeman is. One of the best eighteen-year-old backs I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, that kid is special, you know. Um, Byron Marshall is special, and Thomas Tyner. Um, those guys can definitely run the football. Um, and of course, Mariota can run as well. Um, I, I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to run the football. Um, they're going to run it down down their throats. They're going to run in the middle, and then they're going to open it up. Um, for you know, um, Ken Lowe still there, and like I said, Byron Marshall and Charles Nelson, um, Stanford and uh, Carrington. Uh, the little guys, <laughs> I like to call them on the outside. Uh, so I think their offense is going to be A-OK, perfectly fine with Hofford and Frost calling the um, shots. The defense that uh, is going to have their work cut out, obviously there's no EFO. Um, another big loss. Oregon's had so many injuries this year. Crazy. Um, but they keep fighting, keep fighting. Um, I think Cisse and uh, Reggie Daniels are going to have uh, solid games, and they're going to have to make turnovers happen. I think they can. Um, I don't expect uh, that many fumbles as yesterday <laughs> but from Ohio State. But Oregon's feisty team, and they get to the ball. Um, like Kirk said, I mean, they're not 
They've never been soft. I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> maybe it's the jerseys or the colors or something like that. But this is a pretty big defense that can uh, fill up space, um, whether it's Tony Washington, like I said, Buckner and Armstead that are, you know, 6'7", 300-pound guys, or, or uh, Joe Walker, or uh, like I said, uh, Christian French. They can just not make stupid penalties. They'll be okay. And they're a pretty disciplined team, too. But like I said, on defense, I think they're going to find a way to uh, stop the run. I'm going to have to make uh, Coyle throw the ball. And, yeah, he's playing good. He's kind of high right now, but that's kind of not what you want. Um, you know, you still want to run the ball if you're out And I think that's the plan to take that away early on and make him make mistakes early on. Let him make mistakes early on. You get the ball in your hands too many times if you're Oregon, they're not going to stop you. You know, um, Ohio State's defense is great with Bosa. I love him. J.D. Watt Jr. is what I like to call him up front. Uh, Michael Bennett is playing all of his mind right now. Uh, wasn't his fan, but I'm actually growing to like him a little bit more. But, uh, you know, I just think um, they're going to put the ball in their hands early. Um, but if they get two turnovers in the first half, um, they'll score. They might not score um, touchdowns every time, but uh, basically you keep turning the ball, they're going to make those uh, touchdowns happen. Uh, their kicker's pretty solid. They've had kicking troubles um, from back in the day, as we know. But uh, their kicker's not bad now, um, Aiden Snyder. Um, he can make field goals. So I think they're just going to press it um, up front with the corners. Um, like I said, oh, they're going to press them, and they're going to make them try to throw the football early and call turnovers early on in the game so they can get ahead. Maybe it's 21-6 um, like it was in this game um, with Alabama. They're not coming back on um, So I think Oregon will be fine if they can get up. Now, if they get down, it's going to be tough because this is a team that doesn't play from behind. You know, they're not used to coming from behind. That's something I would like to see <laughs> with Mayota, um in a game-winning type drive. But they just don't get behind. That's not what they do. Um, they're always right there. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but, you know, in other games, um, impressed by what Michigan State did with the comeback, of course. Uh, I thought Baylor had it locked up. But, uh, you know, they couldn't run the football. Um, Connor Cook made a thought that throw, but he definitely came back and redeemed himself. Um, Heisman type moment coming back uh, for next year for him. I know Montel loves him. Connor Cook. I, I like him a lot, too. He's definitely a top 50 pitcher <laughs> next year. And, you know, Michigan, State, Michigan State's a good team. Um, they're good. I mean, they're going to be in the top 15, top 10 next year. So, that was an impressive win to me. Um, Auburn, Wisconsin was <laughs> Melvin Gordon's just he's one of the best friends. I'm just going to, you know, one of those people I'll tell my grandkids about. He's that good. He's not just going to be a player I remember. He's going to be someone I told my kids my grandkids about. That's how great he was this year, college football. He had one of the best years I've ever seen in my life um, at any position. Um, one of the most dominant athletes, honestly, you could say. Um, if I had to give out three Heisman's, like, all three of those guys would have won Cooper, Gordon, and Mariota. But uh, I was impressed by Salvi. He made some plays definitely down the stretch in the fourth quarter. I think he's a guy that uh, – We'll find a way in a camp next year. <laughs> I don't think he'll draft it, but I think he'll find a way with his uh, big frame. And, you know, James knows the ladies love Stavi, so he'll find a way. But <laughs> he he's back for senior season, obviously. But, <laughs> you know, he's just got to keep improving and making plays in the fourth quarter, you know. Half it. As long as they don't have to play that kid that played LSU early on in the season, um, <laughs> they'll be fine. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. McAvoy. Um, Tanner <laughs> freaking McAvoy. My God. Yeah. yeah I'll never forget uh, He's – He's bad. He's really, really bad. <laughs> no, you know, I, you know I, I, I had in, the, in August I played Oregon to win the national championship. 
I, I that's great, you know, kudos to myself, but I also picked Auburn to beat in that national championship, and they're definitely far from it. The defense is horrible. Uh, Muschamp needs to come. I hope he's already there in Auburn because he's got to fix that defense. They're really bad. Um, definitely an artist pain fan, like Nick Marshall, what they can do on the outside with their receivers. Of course, they're nasty, but I don't know. They definitely did look flat um, sometimes, and I think that Texas A&M game just really was just the end for them. Um, A&M's a good football team, but they had no business giving up that many points to, you know, 17-year-old, 18-year-old Kyle Allen and losing like that. So the Auburn thing, I don't know. They definitely got to fix that next year. And, you know, they got Jeremy Johnson coming in, a really good quarterback. Might be better than uh, Nick Marshall. Definitely a Cam Newton-type size uh, and arm strength. But, uh, yeah, those are kind of just the, those are the games. I was in Pitt today, Houston. Uh, I got a chance to rewatch that game. I watched it live, but I rewatched it. That was a fun one. I think both programs going forward are in good hands, like I said earlier, with Tom Herman uh, at Houston. And they're a pretty young offense. Seven or eight guys coming back next year. And, you know, so he's going to have a bunch of weapons. I, I, I just love Greg Ward, Jr. I know he played wide receiver early on the season, but um, he's really raw. But, I mean, there's a lot of good things he can do. And he, he seems like he's just a little quarterback I'm going to look out for. Um, in a couple of years and say, okay, this guy is a draftable guy. He makes some plays. Very fast kid, uh, nice arm in the middle of the field. But And then, you know, I like uh, Pitt going forward as well. I think they got a young team, of course, um, with their big three. And um, good hire for Pat Narduzzi. You know, he, he goes out on top at Michigan State, and now he's uh, at Pitt. And I think he'll do a really good job. He got the job over my guy Shiano, but, <laughs> you know, it was a good well, hire regardless. But they knew they were going to pick. They were going to pick a Paisan. The only question was which Paisan. They with a Nadouzi instead of Shiano. Pretty please, look out! Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, the, like I said, great hire. You know, Pittsburgh had good coaches. Um, Todd Graham, I thought was going to be there for a lot longer. Obviously, he's gone. At uh, you don't know Todd Graham very well. He's like a yeah. very long any place. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think he's going to be at ASU for a little bit. Not not too long, but maybe like five to I'm seven gonna, years. I was about to say, yeah. what's your definition of a little bit? Because I think the like, over-under is three years, but okay. I, I think he'll be there for about four or five more years at ASU. Um, I think they'll get to a title title game again. And yeah, you can say that now, but, but when Jim Moore <laughs> goes back to the pros and the call comes in from UCLA, what do you think he's going to do? Uh, oh, wow, God, that would be rough to leave uh, in the back to the South. Yeah, he would do it. I'm not saying he would. Yep, but, <laughs> that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be rough. But I don't know. You know, he, he loves Tempe, he said. So, I mean, I, I Tempe's a good Tempe. place. It's you know what? Who what he said about Pittsburgh? What do you say about Pittsburgh? What do you say about Tulsa? <laughs> well, we knew he was living in Tulsa. I mean, you're not going to stay in Tulsa forever. That's well, yeah, no, we knew he wasn't staying there forever. But That's he, a launching pad job. But. but he loved every place. He loved the ball. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But, but yeah, those, those are the bowl games I'm impressed by. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you want to – I'll go back a little bit. Like, I really was impressed by yeah. the and what they did, and I was impressed by the I know that's last week. Stuff, but I wasn't and then going for they're kind of they're not doing a good job of recruiting right now. That's another story for another time. I know we'll talk about that later, but well, well help me wait, wait, no, that's, that's actually actually that's one reason I wanted to have you here. Weren't they like killing it in recruiting not that long ago? What 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 happened? It's 
not like, it's not it's not that they're not killing it. It's that they're losing out on guys they need. They need Kendall Sheffield. They went down. I mean, I know that was secondary is bad right now, but they just got the best two corners in the nation. Kendall Sheffield, not just like one of those. He's the top corner this year. He's special, man. Like he's one of the best corners I've seen like in a while. You're talking. <laughs> you're talking like Janoris Jenkins level stuff. I mean, the, I I I've talked to people down here. That said, Kendall Shetfield is the best corner that Nick Saban's had ever. <laughs> out of high school, out of high school. I mean, this kid is—he's he's special, man. People call him Mini Dion, and I can't even hate on it. I de- he deserves it. I mean, he's four three fast. Uh, I think he's the fastest man in Texas. Um, you know, hundred meters uh, hurdles and stuff like that. Four three flat. That's what he ran down here in <laughs> practice. It was it was fun to watch. Um, you know, so yeah, he's special. He's generating and special. Um, and, and uh, Fitzpatrick is too. Um, so that, you know, they got corners coming in, but no, te- as far as Texas A&M, um, you need a guy like Dale and Mack, um, a defensive tackle up front in the trenches. Uh, that's where A&M is at their worst in the trenches. Um, corners are okay. I know a lot of people like Everett, um, and the other corner they have too, but they definitely, you, you need, you need the defensive players. Um, now you know they got they got the legend from LSU, you know. So you figure they can get a couple more defensive players, but they're missing out on defensive players. Um, you can only have so many receivers and running back and quarterback, and um, they're getting the five star quarterback and receivers and running back, but you can't you can only play those guys so much, you know. Um, you know, and it's making their recruiting guys look a lot better than it is. But they need help up front on defense, and they need help. Uh, in the secondary, and they have a great staff. They just added Dave Christensen as well as the O-line coach. Um, like I said, they added John Chavis as their D.C., which is amazing. Um, yeah, you can't, the you best don't, doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. But they need guys for Chavis, you know. I mean, LSU had abundance of it. He got to choose those guys he wanted to pick from. That's how deep they were. And once A&M gets that deep, um, they'll be fine. And it's the same with Texas Tech. Um, different story, I mean, because they're not as good, of course, but they, they've missed out on a couple of guys on defense, and we know how bad their defense is. It's one of the top, top five worst defenses <laughs> yeah, in college football. I've got so, 82 reasons to believe their defense is bad, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I got some, some, uh, some signal calls being given out by their old D.C. as well, while those 82 oh, points are Yeah, that's <laughs> but, wow. Yeah, but, they, uh, got, they got to fix that, too. They got, yeah, they're going to have to change all those signals. <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury's going to have to do a good job of that. But, um, yeah, so Aiden's okay. I mean, they're fine. They're, they're you know, Chavis, him coming in alone, they can keep the exact same defense, and they would be a lot better. They'd move up 30 spots. I feel like he's worth that much. You know, that's why you pay him the big bucks to come in. John Chavis, I mean, you can make an argument that he is the best defense coordinator in college football. Um, and that, and they, they're taking away a guy that shuts them down, you know, all the time. He shut down Johnny. Um, he did a good job versus Ryan Tannehill when he was there. Um, he did a good job. Obviously, this year, you know, versus uh, Kyle Allen. So, you're taking away a guy that, you know, beats you up a lot. So, now you got him on his staff. And like I said, Dave Christian is a good ad as well. They did lose Clarence McKinney to Kansas, but, you know, running back coach. You you know, Spav all going to throw it anyway. So, (laughs) he's not really trying to run. But they did do a good job of running the football in the bowl game. So, I was impressed by that. Um, That's what I was most impressed by. They did run the ball to Trey Williams um, a lot. Yeah, I mean, and Trey Ford, both the trades look good. And Trey Carson, yeah, and Trey Carson as well. Yeah, both of those guys. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's adjustments you have to make. 
I know Savinol is a pass-happy guy, but you got to run the football, especially um, to protect uh, a younger quarterback, you know. And Ohio State's quarterback situation is definitely going to be insane next year. I have no idea what's going to happen. And Texas A&M is going to be pretty interesting, too. Um, Kenny Hill there still and Kyle Allen and then uh, the kid Colin Murray coming in, who he's, he's great. <laughs> he's a great running back. He's a little guy. He's only 5'10", 172. So I don't know if he's be playing next year, but <laughs> he's a five-star, you know, still uh, at that size, and he's a five-star baseball player as well. Great, he's the second, best second baseman in the country for high school football and, or high school uh, baseball. You know, great three, um, third best quarterback in the country as well. So, be interesting to see what A&M does at quarterback next year. Yeah, it's conceivably the guy that people, you know, four or five games into the season, we're about to try to hand the Heisman Trophy to, mate find himself riding the bench or transferring. Yeah, I, I think Kenny Hill just – I think he transfers, personally. Um, I, I just – I think it's his job. You know, he's a sophomore. They like him going forward. There's no off-field worries with him. He's not going to be out drinking, you know, on Friday night. <laughs> um, like Kenny did, that's, that's why he lost the job. So, I mean, I, I think he'll – you know, I mean, he's doing a good job with Sean Salisbury. I, I know Sean. Sean's a great guy. Yeah. Um, you know Sean, I think too. Uh, as well. I do. So, yeah. Um, so I mean, he's doing a good job mentoring him and everything. But I think he transfers still, um, especially with Colin Murray coming in. I think he definitely transfers. Um, so, next year. You, we just mentioned Arizona State a second ago. Do you think he might be a good fit someplace like that? I don't know if he should go to Tempe, man. That's uh, not <laughs> a good idea. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. wait. Good point. Good catch. I don't know if he well, should. Well, I guess so, so BYU it is, I guess. No, well, not BYU. Not BYU. <laughs> they got to They got to taste them this year. Well, I mean, Kenny's going to have to sit out anyway. He's not going to go small school. That's the yes. No, that's to, not his. A top. You can't call – a guy who calls himself Kenny Trill is not going to go to Sam Houston today. No, he's not going to Sam Houston today. No, I mean, all jokes aside, I mean, he can go to Tempe. I mean – just because, you know, you you drink a little bit too much doesn't mean you not go to the number one party school in the country. I don't think that's a good idea. But, I mean, he would fit there football-wise perfectly, actually. That's <laughs> what I was no thinking. Doubt. I was thinking yeah. it would be a great fit for him. <laughs> no, no doubt, yeah. Um, I, Before I started liking Ward, I was definitely playing Houston. Um, Oregon's a school that recruited him, and there was in Marietta, obviously. Um, I like Jeff Lockie and Morgan uh, Malak, but uh, Kenny Hill would definitely be an improvement over those two guys. So, um, yeah, I would see him at – I can see him at Oregon. I can still see him at Houston. I mean, Ward might still be a receiver. He's just had a good stretch of games. Um, uh, I mean, there's a few other schools out there. I mean, they, I mean there are a lot of schools that want Kenny Hill. I mean, he was great yes. on the beginning of the season. I mean, he was possibly the number one Heisman candidate uh, leader. Um, he had some struggles, but, I mean, those are a lot of just team struggles. I mean, you're getting your 56 – points scored on you. That's not Kenny Hill's fault. I mean, yeah, he threw some picks here and there, <laughs> definitely. But it was his first year starting. I think he started off so good that people's expectations were a little too high. Um, people had him in the first round next year, had him as a high right. winner and people, everything people like that. Had, right, people, and it, you know, he started hanging out with, you know, with, with Johnny and it kept bumping him on the sidelines. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy, here we go. Oh, yeah, he was getting shout-outs from Bum B, you know, and everything, keeping it true. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, trade, he, he does have a name trademarked. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he got a little full of himself, you know. But Kenny just got humbled right now. Um, I mean, he got sent home from games. I mean, he's, on, he's riding the bench behind a true freshman, you know. Um, so, 
it, it's it's rough, you know. And maybe he'll just stick it out and try to beat Kyle Allen out and Kyle Murray. We never know. But I, I, I see a transfer um, coming. I definitely see a transfer for Kenny Like I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. Now, of course, as you said, you know, maybe maybe he grows up. Maybe he works super hard. He spends all of his time in the film room and the weight room and summer school and comes back better and bigger than ever before. And like you said, blows these other guys out of the water. And, you know, Kyle Allen's the one looking to transfer. But And I'd love to see him do that. You know, that, was, that would, one, it would help him to you know, become a, a better leader and a better man. I hope, I hope that's what happens, but I don't. I'm not betting on it. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. And like, if someone uh, hand-picked him to start, um, I know Spavadol, uh he didn't say he would have chose uh, Kyle Allen, but he would have but... definitely went that route. <laughs> so, yeah, he didn't he might say have it him. in so many <laughs> words, but... Yeah, but he that's his guy, you know. So right. And obviously, someone's a head coach, so, I mean, he's got to say. But, um, like I said, a guy, if someone's trying to, trying to get this team to be more disciplined, they have a lot of discipline problems. Um, mm-hmm. and then, so, I mean, whether it's just n- little knucklehead stuff on the field, taunting all the time, penalties, they're one of the most penalized teams, but stupid penalties, though, not holding, you know, just unnecessary roughness, you know, taunting, you know, stepping over guys' heads or whatever like that. And then, you know, yeah. off the field stuff, like I said, with Kenny Hill, um, going out too much, you know, before game night, I think it was the Alabama game where they got drugged, freaking down to zero, you know, he was definitely out, um, <laughs> at, uh, at a place, uh, Chewy's, that yeah. I didn't know about, <laughs> um, called Station. Um, wasn't doing the right things before getting night. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you get drove 59 to 0, you know, that's not a good look. So that's <laughs> why you get this the next game, you know, uh, or the rest of the season. <laughs> you know, he thought it was going to be just one or two games, but uh wasn't wasn't that at all. So he definitely sent a message to him. But uh, we'll see. That'll be an interesting uh, off-season story for uh, Aggie Nation. Yeah, and like I said, I I'd love to see him, you know, grow up and buckle down and, and win his job back. I just, I I believe. I guess I'll just wait and see. <laughs> I guess I'll just, I'll just wait and see is what I will do. I'm, I'm going to throw out another program that I think got a nice little um, bump from bowl season, and it's a school that just came off of a bunch of NCAA. Yeah, punishments, I think it was bad, and that's Penn State. Obviously, a, a once very proud program that had one of the more uh, both repugnant and well-known scandals in the history of college football attached to it. We went through a, a deeply painful soul-searching period, hired Bill O'Brien, which seems both at the time and in retrospect to have been almost perfect. I mean, they got that right on a couple of different levels. And though he didn't stay very long, um, the time he was there helped the program to heal. He helped to develop Christian Hackenberg into someone that, and I'm going to quote our friend uh, Shane, the greatest living American, um, as he once termed Christian Hackenberger, Christian Hackenberg, and you know got that program turned back around from you know being a place that was essentially very looking looking introspective and thinking basically about their shame, to a place that he decided about winning football games again. And though he, like I say, he didn't stay for very long, he left on very good terms. Part of on very good terms, they were, everyone around the program has nothing but great things to say about him. And then they made what I still think is a great hire, and I, I will see in another year or two if I was right or wrong, 
in James Franklin, who is, I mean, that guy. I mean, he could sell air. He could sell. He could sell dirt. He could sell toenail clippings. I mean, that guy. If you if you don't want to play football with James Franklin, I, I don't know what what's going on in your life. Like, how do you how do you you may not decide to do it, but some part of you is going to want to play for. If you meet with him, he talks to you. If if he in no way appeals to you, then you're dead inside. But the um, you know the, he he obviously made some changes. Some of those changes, some people think, hurt Christian Hackenberg. I just think they, he's a young quarterback, and young quarterbacks who are now learning another system tend to struggle. But I think the bounce they're going to get out of, first of all, this is their first bowl since, you know, since, uh, since everything changed, since, you know, they tore down sculptures and, you know, aired the dirtiest of dirty laundry in the history of college football. So now... You know, the football discussion is about football again, at least. And though the pinstripe bowl isn't one of those things that's going to probably have the most prominent place, you know, that trophy probably won't be headlining in the trophy case back in Happy Valley. It's a bowl victory. It's a bowl game. And they got to send their seniors off with a victory. And you got to see Hackenberg start to adapt, I guess is the way to put it. I'm going to jump back to Pete for a second. You work with young, even younger than Christian Hackenberg, uh, players. And when a scheme changes, in fact, even if it's just, even if just terminology changes, what's the hardest part for young players when they have to learn something different from what they used to do before? What's the thing that gives them so much trouble? Well, it's unteaching, what, unteaching the, the physical habits, you know, especially – uh, defensively, you know, if you if you were playing, you know, uh, uh, a safety safety style where you had guys that would backpedal into their jobs as opposed to just sort of buzzing their feet, trying to read and possibly attack downhill, it takes a while to get out of that that habit of uh, wanting to backpedal or you know different techniques at, at various positions. So it, it, it's a lot of unlearning the old and trying to then replace the old habits with the new ones uh, so that, so they can do the job. I mean, I don't know how much of that's the issue with Hackenberg so much as, as, so much as the uh, issues up front with their offensive line and sort of the various other things they've had uh, to deal with as they're, as they're going from O'Brien to, to Franklin and, and – well, for so many years, obviously Penn people State sanctify State. How people sanctify a quarterback as a freshman and then are surprised when they, you know, aren't, you know, the elite player that they were uh, as a freshman out of the gate. I mean, uh, you know, people are surprised that Jameis Winston's had regression or Hackenberg's regressed or however you want to put it. It's a hard, difficult position to do. And when you get a, when you get the tape on these guys, you know defenses have times to time to adjust and everything else with it. Just like if there's the NFL team where, you know, a guy like, you know, Scott Mitchell can can get hot and get a stupid contract, and then people play him for a while and then they realize, oh, he's you know not very good or or not as good as he looked or any number of any number of situations. So it's just one of those, you know. He, He's he's gonna get take time to get 
acclimated. I'm sure you know he's fine at that point. Now it's just uh, this off season is going to be hitting the ground running as opposed to adjusting and just working and developing his craft. And I'm sure there's there's that, and then the addition to trying to prove all the the, the people who are sort of done with him uh, wrong in coming back and having a strong season, which I which I fully expect he will. Uh, but so much of it is is going to be building up the talent around him and, and, and Penn State, you know, they're, they're losing, I think, at least three guys to, you know, early declarations, although I think they're all on defense. I mean, it's just – it's tough it's tough to do that, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Penn State's going to have a lot of very young players uh, this coming year that, you know, the Franklin guys, whether they're going to be the true freshmen or the sophomores that – he recruited last year to to really get try to get things going in in, in the way he sees fit. Okay, uh, Jim Coburn. Name a team that, or team or two even, that you think had a particularly consequential bowl season. Like you think it's either going to have a lingering positive or negative effect. To tell me which teams you you would choose and why. Hmm. That's yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I think probably. I mean, the one thing I could think of that could have a possibly Baylor, and I did say that because this is the second year in a row they've gone to a bowl game and lost. Um, some of it's because of the type of offense they run, which is definitely amazing, but it does have the issue of. Uh, always having to be a pimple, always having to attack and not really able to uh, really slow the game down and run the football because their offensive linemen are not um, particularly very powerful. Uh, some of them uh, are not that powerful to really uh, help in that sort of situation. Um, but that that's that that'll be. I mean, that's I don't know. That was just that was one of the surprises to me, just because of how that game ended, and and just because knowing the history of uh, of, of Baylor's program, it's not to say that they'll they'll keep doing what they're doing. It's just in the back of your mind, you know, after you lose a number of battles, everybody starts to go, you know, I don't know if I want to keep going to war with you, you know, because <laughs> uh, we keep losing um, in certain games. Um, I think Utah. Overall, I mean, I really like that program going forward. Um, I'm not the biggest Travis Wilson fan, you know, um, at all, but I do think that overall that team as a whole, when you look at it top to bottom from the offensive line, the defensive line, um, and uh, just the way that the skill players have played, I think that that's in the that, – I think that, that program's going in the right direction. Um, I don't know if they'll have enough next year to really – do much with it <laughs> uh, because I it's it's just tough. It's a Pac-12, but I think that that's just one of those programs that uh, if, if that one does that, it's great. Um, Fresno State's loss. I think this is uh, to Rice. Uh, you know, thirty to six. I think that that's going to be an omen game for Fresno State's uh, rest rest of its existence. <laughs> um, it's. Uh, I mean, it's not looking good. I mean, the defense is still terrible, awful. Um, you know, I don't know other words to describe it uh, that are really nice. Uh, the offense is, uh, like, it's I mean, it's the same offense for the most part that Derek Carr ran. It's just the problem is Derek Carr's not running it. So, 
Um, and they're not gonna. I don't think they're ever gonna find another Derek Carr. So that's that program overall. I don't really see much success going forward. Um, it could be worse than this year, next year, uh, just because I don't think they're really. I still think that they're getting the right type of talent. I know I've watched the team a lot because um, I live in the area. I've met some of the players, and um, it's it's not that it's a bad. It's not like it's a terrible football team in the Mountain West Conference, but it's just a team that um, is not really going anywhere. You know, it's kind of, at least after this season, I don't really see it um, improving um, from what it is now. And usually when you don't improve, you get worse. Usually. Not all the time, but most of the time, if you don't improve much, uh, you get worse. So that's just that's just kind of one of those uh, I don't know, type of things. Uh, well, it's interesting uh, oh, because. Oh, oh, oh. oh yes, yeah. please, Oklahoma, yes. Oh, what were you gonna say? Oh no, I was, I was gonna say that how much things changed because at one point, Fresno, you know, back in the sort of the heyday of the Pat Hill times in the late '90s and early 2000s, there was talk that they would be added as when the Pac, well, Pac-10 as it was in those days. Uh, he was looking to expand. There was one point. Well, he, no, that's made, never going to happen. Made, well, right. I think things have changed, but there was a time um, when it's not, it's not that things are going to change. It's, it's a very hard place to recruit. Um, as, as I've said many times, if you don't have the athletes, then you don't have the brains upstairs. Is what I'm trying to say, um, and not to say that every program has to have the smart schools in the shed. It's just that it's not exactly. So like a high-end academic place, and it also doesn't get the really freak athletes to make up for that fact, you know. Like, if you have really smart football players, you can make up for certain things. Um, Fresno State's not that type of program, unfortunately, from what I've seen. Um, and sure, there is – I understand under Pat Hill, he was able to recruit certain guys. I mean, that. I mean, he was able to get offensive linemen. I mean, that was the big thing with him is he, he was right. a former – NFL coach, and he would base that was part of the recruiting process. And say, I'll get you ready for the NFL, man. Um, even tight ends, you know, they had a couple tight ends come through that he he really was able to recruit those guys because he's like, hey, I get you ready for the NFL. But the problem is, is that's that's about it. You know, offensive line at the tight ends were decent, but some of them were even great. But overall, the recruiting after that point was uh, not great. Now we're just some sort of generic spready you know, type team um, that is just kind of, you know. Yeah, I was, like, that's what I was going to point out. The last thing I was going to say, they used to have a differentiator. When Tedford was the offensive coordinator and Pat Hill was the head coach, it was, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're feisty and, yeah, we're kind of off the beaten path, but we're an NFL, basically an NFL operation where we do everything kind of pro style. Hey, you're going to learn to take snaps under center. You're going to learn to do full field reads. You're going to, you know, you're you're so the so quarterbacks, you know, from Trent Dilfer to obviously David Carr being the best example, were coming out, quote unquote, well prepared, you know, to, to play in the NFL. It was a mentally demanding, you know, for the quarterback. But they, but once again, it was the idea was it was going to be like what you're going to do. And as you said, obviously Pat Hill, what had been and now is again an NFL offensive line coach, he was able to to do a good job of one, recruiting, and two, developing offensive linemen so they could run the ball, they could protect these 
NFL-type quarterbacks and do the things. But that was at least a differentiator. That was how they separated themselves at one point yeah. from a lot of the sort everybody of – Everybody else. Yeah, from yeah, everybody right, else. In the, in the, right. UNLV isn't doing this. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I understand they fired Pat Hill, but not to say I didn't hate the heart because I do know that there comes a point where coach, a coach can get a little stale, you know, unfortunately, yeah, right. coaches. So I felt like that was a little bit of the, the feeling with Pat Hill. But now that's what Fresno State is. It's a generic, spready, not West team, you know. Right. Like when we had Derek Carr, it was great because he was the best quarterback in the conference. It's not probably one of the better ones in the nation, so we could get away with it being that way. You know, now we got guys like Brandon, Brandon Connett, and um, you know, like these other sort of guys. Or, uh, Brian Burrell. Uh, yeah, Brian Burrell. All these other sort of guys that I've seen, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I, I, I hope so, they can. I, I hope they can get a quarterback. Um, I mean, they they are still in California, you know, <laughs> quarterback for yeah. college quarterback. So I mean, right. no, I was just saying. I mean, I hope they can get. I mean, Tim DeRuiter came from Texas A&M, you know, he wouldn't just stand John Bosco. I mean, obviously they're not going <laughs> to. He he made a joke. I think I don't know if uh, James heard it. But he tried to recruit John uh, or uh, or Josh Rosen because they both went to Bellflower. Obviously that didn't work out too well. But uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, you know, <laughs> but no, I didn't. They're not going to get the five-star, you know, of course. But the four- and three-star that he can develop possibly and get some offensive guys around there, um, if he can just get that guy. You know, I'm not asking for the world for him to get a five-star guy, but a four-star that maybe, you know, wants to just start all four years and work with the Carr family, you know, because um, you'll see right. that how, game how, stuff how like that. Old is, how so. old is David Carr's oldest son? <laughs> well, that's too far away. Tim DeRude is not going to be there. <laughs> um, when he he's not gonna keep his job, but hopefully they can get a guy. You know, I don't know. I mean, he's on the hot seat now, so he probably need a guy really soon. I don't know who the quarterback's gonna be next year. I didn't watch him enough. I'm sure James knows, but uh, I know they did have Marcus McDade, but he transferred. But um, I don't know. I I think it's a program that just uh, like James said. It, I I I love the Pat Hill days. I was at the Coliseum when they played SC. Um, they were they that 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 year was their best team to me. Oh, that was a hell of a team. They did nine games that year. Um, they took him to the wire, man, in the Coliseum. Yep. That year was just, like, great, you know. But, um, you know, got stale, like uh, James said. But, I mean, Derudas won some football games. Um, can he win without Carr? I don't know. But <laughs> we'll see. I well, mean, we just found out. You can't. Yeah, we, six, six and seven, yeah. So, I guess not six really. Six and eight. But six and eight, actually. Six and eight. Eight, oh gosh, yeah, six and eight. They played Hawaii, so extra game. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I like Tim Rooter, um, as well as a guy. But yeah, they're the you know generic spread team in the West Coast, and it's tough out there. But like I said, they just gotta get a Cody Vajaro type. I mean, I like the Rooter too, but I mean, there comes a point, and you know, he's a defensive back coach, and like by far one of our biggest issues is the defensive. Play, you know, the net back play. So it's uh, one of them, at least. You know, we don't, of course, we're not going to have the best defensive line. Uh, we're not really going to have the best linebackers, but um, the secondary, you know, you're, you're the secondary. It's like a, you know, it's like a Saban Alabama type thing. Like you were a former defensive back coach and have coached a lot of defensive backs, and I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, know where they're going to go. I don't know who their DC is, but, and I know this might not be very popular, but I would think that they can get, he should give his, his old friend Mark Snyder a call um, just for, for recruiting. I mean, I know Mark Snyder is not the best. <laughs> We've seen that, honestly. But this is this is the Mountain West. You know, you're not going to have the highest expectations. You can give up some points. It's okay. And he can recruit his butt off, man. I mean, he did a good job recruiting guys um, um, at A&M. You know, if he can get some of those guys maybe to transfer uh, over to Fresno or give him one or two guys on defense, I mean, I would definitely give him a call. Like I said, I don't know who the D.C. is. I don't know if he's getting fired or not. Um, but they give up a lot of points, so I, I wouldn't necessarily keep them. <laughs> and I know DeRuder, uh, you know, like I said, he's the one that uh, – or Mark Snyder replaced him at a and but uh, I think that he should definitely give him a call. They just need to win some recruiting battles in that state. I mean, I know it's hard. Like, it's really hard to recruit at Fresno State, but like I said, it just takes four or five guys, you know, not asking for the world. That's what they it did. Does, with that but, I mean, you're That's still in Fresno State. He's selling Fresno, and not to say, I mean, Fresno's not a bad city by any means, but it's like, hey, I'm going to California. Where are you going, Fresno? You show up to Fresno, and you're like, wow, this is not the, the stereotypical California. This is the hot, mm-hmm. kind of weird, you know, it's yeah, a little no, bit different. I, I understand. I totally get it. I've been there. It's not the greatest place. There's other places I'd rather go. There's other places I'd rather go to the state, or I'd probably rather leave. But so I understand that. But you know, if they can get a guy, like I said, um, you don't have to be the backup and never play at SC or UCLA. Like, you can just come here. That's the same thing with San Diego State also. Um, San Diego State, now that's different. San Diego is a beautiful town. They play in a dump stadium, I understand, but they should be able to get a few guys. Um, actually, San Diego State is doing that. They're doing a better job um, for no state at recruiting. So, you know, San Diego State has some, some tradition, but, I mean, Fresno State to me is better recently. You know, most kids don't know about Marshall Falls back in the day, you know, <laughs> at San Diego State. Uh, they didn't see a lot of the San Diego State players. Um, I know the little running back they did have a couple of years ago was really good, um, Adam Muma or whatever. But they yeah, they had Ronnie, Ronnie Hillman. Yeah, you know. Ronnie Hillman. But, I mean, you you saw Carr, you know, four years. You know about Carr. You know about Pat yeah. Lyman in the NFL, you know. And uh, there's – there's a lot of talent in San Diego, but a lot of those kids leave. And like I said, there's a lot of talent in Bakersfield, Fresno area. Um, you know, could have kept a guy like Cody Kessler at home. I mean, that would change the world for Fresno. <laughs> Twelve gobbles them up. You know, anytime we have a decent, halfway decent, decent defensive back, he ends up at Oregon or Washington or Washington State. You know, or Cal. So that's the pro- that's the problem. All the little mod, all the little Powerhouse come in, poach all our players. So it's kind of like that. Agreed. They definitely lose the little guys. They have a lot of speedsters in that area. They all go elsewhere. So the guys are getting like two stars, you know, one star, and that's not going to cut it. You know, going six and eight, <laughs> not going to really excite that fan base, the Bulldog fan base either. So. Jim, I think you were about to mention uh, Oklahoma as well, which I thought was a very interesting yeah, place to mention. Yeah, I to mention Oklahoma because it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's another one of those, like, you know, Stoops is Stoops. He's been around for a while. 
you know. I mean, let's, I mean, it's not like a, it's not a mystery. Uh, and it's a team that really, you know, we, we had Shane Alexander on the show. We called him the best, what was it, the, the most talented team in the, in the college football or something, I don't know, um, or something like that, close to that. And it's not really that. Um, not to say it's a bad program, but they have a lot of stuff to figure out this offseason, I think, because uh, on the one hand, you know, the quarterback situation, you have to really look yourself in the mirror and go, is Trevor Knight the guy? You know, he snuck up on Alabama with a really good game plan um, to throw, 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 which I don't think Alabama was expecting, you know. Um, but it worked. But now, after that happens, you wake up and you go, okay, our quarterback is six foot one, two hundred one pounds. Um, you know, like that, or six foot, who knows? Uh, type guy, doesn't really have uh, the biggest arm, but doesn't really make up for it that much in terms of um, just in general not making a ton of mistakes and stuff like that, um, at least this season. And of course, he's a young quarterback. But they have a lot of stuff to figure out in terms of that kind of stuff. Uh, they, they have identity issues. Are they going to be running the football a lot? I know, you know, they had somebody, Perrine, who had that record-breaking, you know, day. Um, they have like, guys like Keith Ford and Joe Mixon, and they have a bunch of other guys. And, of course, their wide receivers, you know, Sterling Shepard comes back. I haven't heard anything about that. Uh, or Gabriel Green Beckham, too, who should come back. Like I said, he should he should come back. He should uh, uh, don't go to jail, don't collect $200 from, you know, autographs or whatever. So, if they get out those guys come back, that that'll be interesting to see. But uh, it's it's definitely a program that like because Stoops has been there so long and because the expectations have always they've I, I don't know if they've shifted, but it's almost as if it's almost like going into the season everybody expected Oklahoma to be in the playoffs. You know, at least we we did at one point. You know, when we had the Final Four, well, oh yeah, Oklahoma they're going to be. They'll probably be that one team from the Big 12 going in, and that didn't happen. They were shown to be one of the middle-tier teams in the Big 12. Um, and, so and, worst, and worst of all, they lost the game you can't lose. They lost to Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's true. They lost that game, too. So, uh, they – this is going to be a big – I mean, this is going to be big offseason. I think uh, if – not to say that, like, it's going to be a win-in situation because you never know how stuff shakes out, you know. I mean, certain coaches last a while even though they're in these situations. But I would say Stoops is not on the most, you know, stable ground uh, if they don't really achieve what they expected to achieve. And I don't know 100% if they're going to have all the dudes necessary to do it next year uh, just because, you know, they're losing a couple tackles. Yeah, you know, Daryl Williams and Tyrus Thompson, which those guys weren't really the greatest ever, but they definitely were not terrible, you know. Um, they're losing a couple uh, defensive players, obviously. Uh, so, and, you know, Zach Chance, I think Zach Chance is coming back. But uh, it's Stryker, I believe. Uh, is he a senior? Is he? Um, but anyway. I think Stryker's, I think Stryker's a junior. But I think he's coming back anyways because I think everybody – at least the team is going to be like, we don't know what you are, so don't come out. <laughs> it's, it's, 
Cole was, was going back, and he should because he's freaking tiny. He's yeah, 217 he's, pounds. Yeah. So, yeah, he needs to come back. Exactly. So, it's – I just don't know. I just don't know where the going to go. I, I just think that in, in terms of – and they lost to Clemson that badly. That's too bad. 46. You know, um, not a good way to bring in the next season type situation. So, I think overall when you look at that program and you look at the coach – being there so long and the fact that they were expected to be in the national championship discussion in top ten or whatever, that didn't happen. This is definitely going to be an offseason where they're going to be, you know, there's going to be a, a certain standard that they want to have. And if it's not met, especially if Beckham comes back, you know, if Beckham comes back, there's going to be even more of that pressure. If that doesn't happen, if Beckham doesn't blow up and have a really good season, all that kind of stuff happens. And uh, I think Oklahoma – at least Bob Stoops is probably not going to, you know, he probably might not be the coach there anymore. So to speak. Well, I'm going to bring Pete in because it's interesting. Not too long ago, Mac Brown was unassailable. He was the safest coach, or maybe one of the safest, if not the safest coach in all college football. And then very quickly, the conditions on the ground changed, as he used to say in the Army. And his position was not so, you know, easily defended. And, you know, it ended rather quickly. I mean, once the momentum turned against him, it accelerated rapidly. Now, I know people near the program, and, and apparently there's nothing happening. I mean, there's no rumblings even. But I think he's one more year like this year away from there being rumblings. One, what do you think, Pete, uh, from a coaching perspective, is there something that Stoops himself is doing wrong? Is it just, uh, and I'll bring Donovan and Aster to find out maybe there's something going on in recruiting I should know about. But what what do you think is, why is Oklahoma no longer, you know, plowing people under like they used to? Well, truth be told, I thought they were going to run the table, so uh, that, that, went, that went well. Uh I'm I'm not ready to panic with Oklahoma. I mean, this is, you know, 12 months removed from what was a monster win for them, the way they put, right. put it to Alabama in a BCS game. So, you know, it's I, – I, 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 I would be like you. I would give it a year, and we'll see, you know, if they're, if they're a middling Big 12 team, I could see it. However – I think, unlike with Mac Brown, who was, you know, diehard Texas slash old, I think if Stoops uh, gets a feeling like it's it's going to end, I think he's he could be a guy who, you know, jumps to a big big program job if it opens up. Like there were some people uh, who suggested that, you know, Bob Stoops was a secret, you know, really super under the radar possibility at Michigan just be. If if he felt like, you know, that that being you know being a ten win team was was almost disappointing at Oklahoma. Meanwhile, if he you know did it at Michigan right now, you know he'd be you know uh, they they they'd revere him. So I mean, there's there's sort of this uh, victim victim of expectations type thing. But I mean, it's it's. Difficult to really say anything about recruiting because, I mean, at the same time, they just had Richard sophomore uh, Jordan Phillips declare for the NFL draft. And, you know, right. he's, he's, you know, a 
titan of a guy. We'll see what, where he ultimately goes. But there's a lot of people who think he could end up going, you know, the first round. So, I mean, it seems like uh, it, it's it's not a recruiting issue. However, the biggest problem you're seeing is, is just what the Big 12 is, what's happening in the Big 12 in general, which is, Everything, every Texas program seems to have some life, except we're still waiting on Cliff Kingsbury to, you know, do anything uh, with all the hype that was going in Texas Tech. But even so, he was getting recruits uh, that, that some of these other programs would have gotten. Baylor's obviously, you know, been a very productive program. You know, Texas A&M's been able to recruit real well. And then now Texas suddenly has some new life breathed into it with Charlie Strong, which I think will – turn out well and then now you know say what you want about Nebraska but they still were were recruiting under Pelini and now they've got you know a guy who should probably put in more of an NFL type look on offense in Mike Riley which should draw recruits I think but but, I mean the the biggest sort of monkey wrench in this whole thing is Gary Patterson and, and what he's been able to do at TCU and now being in the Big 12 suddenly being able to really recruit against people, it's, you know, it's getting to the point where it's just you're running out of guys and there's only so many great players to go around. So it seems like the Big 12 right now is just a cyclical uh, type of of conference where, you know, Baylor's having a nice run right now, but at the same time uh, with it and TCU, I think they're going to be relatively close to the top, but I think it's at the point now where, you know, I think next year Oklahoma could be the top team or, you know, there's so many, I think there's, there's a, there's a lot of parody going on in that conference where, you know, Bob Stoops isn't, you know, the, the Titan up top uh, where he can sort of rule over the rest of everybody else. I think it's, it's become a very even playing field all of a sudden and everybody's sort of got to be at their best. Uh, The big 12 has been, you know, severely disappointing, as far as their bowl performance, but just relative to uh, Big 12 against Big 12, it's a, it's it's the Wild West out there with with everything that's going on in in Texas, recruiting wise. In addition to A and M being a, a uh, an SEC team in Arkansas trying to recruit Texas, it's all these SEC schools are coming in there because of the A and M uh, opportunity. It's just it's going to be harder and harder to really recruit well to Norman uh, with, with a guy, even if it's Stoops, if, even if you, you know, bring back some of the ghosts of coaching past like Barry Switzer, it's just a very different uh, field than what they've been used to. And it's just, you know, I, I don't know if Oklahoma is ready for that where, where they could be, you know, a, a national championship contender one year than, than sort of being a middling school the next. It's 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 definitely gonna be an adjustment. I don't I don't know if their fan base can be able to handle it. Well, I can answer that part. No, their fan base would not be able to handle it. Um and like I said, you know, they've they've sort of written off this year as a, you know, mulligan, one off, hey it happened. You can't have a couple of those. Oklahoma has let me their tradition takes a backseat to no one. You know, Bud Wilkinson and Barry Switzer, I mean, the longest winning streak in big college history and stuff like that on their resume in the past. And I don't think they see it. I mean, your analysis, I think, is 100% correct. But I don't think they see it that way. Uh, the fan base. 
the boosters and the you know the the Okies. I'm pretty sure they they are expecting to be right back where in their minds they belong. In I guess air quotes, what that would be. I think there's two things, and as you said, initial success. He had tremendous initial success. He still, I think. Is, I should check to see what his winning percentage is now, but at one point he had the highest winning percentage amongst. He was number two. He was number two at one point because Chris Peterson, I think, was number one amongst FBS coaches who would coach, you know, 100 or more games. And I think at one point Stoops was number two, and I have to check to see where Stoops is now. He probably has dropped down a little, but he was near the top. He was one of the most successful coaches in the country, period. And now, you know, he's still a very successful coach. He's got still like an 823 or some crazy. So his winning is still silly high, but he used to be in the like 90 percentile or close to it at one point. Uh, Montel, he's still with us? Montel Hardy, one more time. Maybe? No? Okay. We may have lost Montel. Then I'll jump to Donovan. What does it take at a program that, much like Fresno, though they have a different setup, is not exactly like Norman itself doesn't draw recruits. You you know you have you have other stuff, but it's not the city. You know you don't sell you don't bring guys there and say yeah look at downtown Norman. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you know what I have to say that's not the selling point. That's not how they do it. You know no. it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> not uh, right, as I'm saying, that's not that's not. Hey, let's go get a phosphate. I mean, you know, there's clearly they have a different approach to um to well obviously it's, it's you know, I'm sure they take them to left, you know, here's where the you know, high control fee case you know, case and whatever it is. But what does it take um for you know, one of the more successful coaches really in football history, if you look at just his winning percentages and stuff like that, to get back where Oklahoma expects itself to be. What do you think has happened there, Don? And and how have they been doing in terms of recruiting? Um, I I think what it takes to get back is just uh, you might have to fire your brother, um, the defensive coordinator. <laughs> I think I talked about Mom, this a couple weeks Mom's ago. Mom's not gonna like that. <laughs> yeah, she might not like it, but the Stoops brothers always find a good job. You know, those guys always That's find true. a great job. They they've been millionaires for life. Um, with their jobs, they always get paid a big bucks. Um, but I, I just don't know about him on the Oklahoma staff. Um, he's a Josh Heupel fan, but he needs to run the football more. Um, and like, I mean, Cole Stout destroyed them, man. And I like Cole. Like, yep. I've been like the Cole supporter. It's like you were, but, you were at one point the Cole supporter. That is exactly correct. Yeah. <laughs> but but he shouldn't have played that good versus that defense has too much talent. I mean. Yeah, like Jordan Phillips looks fine. I mean, Eric Stryker, Zach Sanchez, they got – I mean, yeah, Shane called them the best two teams in the country. I mean, they're definitely – I thought they were top, you know, 16 coming into the season. Um, they are one of the best two teams in the country as far as NFL talent goes. They just didn't put it together. They have guys on every level. Um, they got dis- they got destroyed, man, by by stop um, in Clemson. Um, they – like I said, Stoops is not doing a great job. Um on the defense, the next thing knows, I mean, Heifel's throwing the ball a little bit too much for Trevor Knight. Trevor Knight, uh, he's not bust. He definitely regressed. I don't use that word a lot, but he just – the injuries was definitely a part of it. But, I mean, he just didn't look that great. Um, I thought he was going to be a lot better and make that next jump. Um, and it's a guy that 
got overhyped. I mean, he's a guy that was sharing time with Blake Bell last year, so you can't just assume he's going to be a first-round pick now. Um, so even even after <laughs> even after Katy Perry, even after Katy Perry made it clear that she was her he was uh, her choice. <laughs> yeah, even after that, that didn't help him out he's, as much as I love Mr. Perry um, personally, but <laughs> didn't really help him out. Um, even though I, he didn't buy into that stuff, he's not like a hothead or anything like that. You know, he, he's low key type of guy. But you know, it just it played horrible, even more bad uh, after that. And uh, Cody Thomas is there. Um, he, you know, they just ran the football with him. He was so young and inexperienced, he kind of got thrown in there. Um, he's a better baseball player than football player, actually. Um, but he's a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. He just got thrown in the fire. He had some bad games. Played good versus Oklahoma State. Started playing good at the end of the season. And you kind of have to wonder if he might win the job next year. Um, he has a disadvantage because off seasons he's baseball, you know. But you never know. I mean, there's a lot of guys that play two sports that start quarterback. Obviously, won't win the Heisman last year, so we'll <laughs> see. But but uh, yeah, I mean, as far as them going forward next year is not make or break per se. But yeah, like you said, if they have another year like this, they're seven and six and getting blown out and losing bedlam series. It's going to be tough to sell that. You know what I mean? They're going to start losing guys. Um, they are doing a good job in recruiting, but you can definitely tell what Pete said about and them dipping in their guys, all the Texas Tech um, dipping in their guys. I know they're winning a lot of games, but Coach Kingsbury is doing a really good job of recruiting. Um, he's a top 15 class for what it's worth right now. Um, even though they didn't make a bowl game, they have the best, one of the best recruiting classes in the country, and they didn't make a bowl game. So he's doing a good job. Um, all the Texas schools, obviously, Coach Strong, uh, getting Malik Jefferson, and he's doing a great job of recruiting right now. A lot of people thought he lost a lot of guys because he was too strong of a disciplinarian. Um, he's still getting guys in. They want to play for him. They know he's a good coach. He's a good man. He's a good heart. He's a good soul. Everything about great. But, you know, and of course, Sean Watson and those guys, too, on offense. But, you know, I mean, Stoops is, uh, has his work cut out. The recruiting class, um, is the lowest it's been in the five in five years. It's still a top twenty five class. It's, it's just the numbers are, are there. Um, it's not a big class because we have so many guys coming back next year. That's a part of it. Um, so the numbers are kind of skewed there. They have tons of guys returning. They they should definitely be a top ten fifteen preseason team. Um, it's going to be tough. TCU might be number one team in the country next year. Um, and then you got to battle Texas, uh, a, a much improving Texas team and. You know, the Big 12 is deep. Baylor's going to be good with Seth Wilson next year and those weapons on offense, and it's going to be tough for Oklahoma. But and it, Baylor's a big part of it, man. Um, that's the team that, like I said, Bob hates that team the most right now. Um, he does. <laughs> he really does. Bobby, he doesn't like our Bob's that much. Um, <laughs> no, he doesn't, they don't, uh, they doesn't they like, don't play golf together. They don't, they don't have lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know Big Twelve Media Day. I watched that. It kind of took a little bit, a couple jabs at them. And then plus, they're just they they're battling and recruiting right now a lot more than they. It's Baylor, man. You know, they Oklahoma fans still think of Baylor as old Baylor. You know, before pre RG three Baylor, pre R Bros Baylor, um, <laughs> not this new Baylor. But they, I mean, you got to get familiar with these guys now. They they've done it year after year, so you got to give them the respect they deserve. But they're fighting for quarterback. Um, they're fighting for offensive linemen, and Baylor's winning the battle right now. And defensively, um, Texas is getting some guys. Like I just mentioned, Malik Jefferson is going there. And uh, they got a top safety in the country going there next year. Um, he decommit, They had a decommit from Oklahoma. Um, he's open now to go to another school. So, I mean, they're losing a couple guys. But I think they're still doing a good job of recruiting, like I said. 
Um, they got a guy, Ricky DeBerry, coming in. Um, you've probably seen him, Bill. He's from Virginia. Um, yep. Really good linebacker. Mechanicsville, um, Virginia. You got a guy like him coming in, five-star. And like I said, they got tons of guys back, you know, whether it's Zach Sanchez or Trevor Knight or Keith Ford. I mean, DGB's going to be there. They got him transferred in and all types of guys. So they should be fine. Next year is the year. If they do this again next year, they got some serious problems. But uh, I think they'll bounce back and win 10 games next year. They should. You know, I mean, they, they could definitely be in the college football playoffs next year. Um, I think uh, Stoops is, uh, should be humbled this year, though. Um, got a little too cocky in the offseason <laughs> with that uh, Bama win and calling, you know, talking about Bryles, talking about uh, Nick Saban, things like that. Just focus on you. You know, um, yeah, you played great last year, but uh, you're still not doing the things you need to do. I mean, Oklahoma has so many freaking NFL players. It's ridiculous. Um, good ones, you know. Um, some of them didn't turn out great, but either way, that's all you can do. Put your players in the NFL. The rest is, you know, up to the NFL coaches. But uh, and, and he's done a great job at that, you know, and he's still doing a good job of recruiting. Um, people like Bob Stoops. Um, so it's just the X's and O's part of it to me. That they need to change. Like I said, it starts with his brother. And I think Heifel needs to, you know, run the ball a little bit more, which I think he did this year. You know, you had to run the ball with the quarterback play as bad as it was. And then Perrine, a guy like that. I mean, him coming back as high as in Canada, Keith Ford, um, Joe Mixon, got to run the football, you know, a little bit more. So I think they'll do those things next year and they'll be all right. Um, but it, it's, it's rough. And Kansas State and TCU. I looked at those two teams. They don't recruit well. Uh, Baylor's been better. The Kansas State doesn't recruit well. They don't need to, though, you know. <laughs> um, they're still winning games. <laughs> Bill Snyder's the fighting Bill Snyder. Um, they get their guys and plug them in. Um, maybe a three-star here and there. Maybe a four-star if they're lucky. They only gotten a couple, I think. Um, never gotten a five. Um, but that just shows you how good of a coach Bill Snyder is. Juco guys, you know, um, takes the two stars. Yeah. Takes the, keeps the guys in state. That you know, Kansas is in a hotbed for, for athletes, football well, they had, athletes. They had, they had they had the Brown brothers, kind of. I mean, they had Arthur Brown for real and Bryce Brown yeah. on paper, I guess, at one point. Yeah, on paper, yeah. But and see, that it's funny that those didn't. I mean, Arthur, I think, was pretty good for sure. But Bryce definitely didn't work out too well there. So I mean, you know, the bigger guys they get, sometimes actually don't work out at uh, Kansas State. So they're just that's the guys they they need to get is. Uh, the Bill Snyder type guys, the JUCOs, the um, smaller guys from Kansas, and uh, the two and three stars. That's what works for them. Um, I think Bob Stoops can kind of take a – everybody can take a page out of Bill Snyder's book, but um, <laughs> everybody should. But he can take a page out of that book, and it's like you don't have to go with uh, all your eggs as a five-star guy. You can go, okay, let me go lock up this three-star guy. You know, I know that's not Oklahoma-like, but <laughs> it works. You know, you're seeing a lot of programs do that now, you know, because you waste a lot of time. You can only spend so much time on a, on a prospect, you know. So you got to go for the smaller guy sometimes. And I think Oklahoma definitely needs to do that as well. But I think they'll be back, like I said. They'll be fine. They just had a really bad year. Um, couldn't believe how bad they played like, versus Clemson. That was probably the worst – one of the worst bowl performances uh, – Besides the Florida State one, <laughs> you know, out there. Uh, Sooner Nation is definitely not happy with Boston. But <laughs> I think he'll be fine. You know, he's definitely not going to get fired, no, not even on the hot seat right now. Yeah. No, not he's, he's one or two years away from a true hot seat. But there's 
like I said, this year I think he's getting a mulligan. Another year like this, there'd be some grumbling. A third year, yeah, the seat would be warm by by year three if they kept hanging around, you know, seven and six, eight and five. That that won't fly. That dog won't hunt in in normal. No. I'll see you another program that I think got a little bit of a bump, and it's another program where people have said things about maybe the coaches got stale and. It's never been a big-time recruiter, but Virginia Tech got a, a bold victory that I think helped them. Um, they have had, obviously, a mess of injuries. It was all about injuries. I mean, maybe Utah State wins the prize for having most impactful injuries and still may hang on and have a decent season. But not too far behind, I think, is Virginia Tech. They've had a bunch of their best players on both sides of the ball, especially on defense, get hurt. And... That looked it at times, despite I mean, I, they looked their best, or at least to some extent, on defense in the game against Ohio State, because they didn't get to get too beat up yet. They were fairly healthy, and you know, Daddy Nicholas, and I mean, Luther Maddie, a bunch of people managed to get hurt at various points during the season. Tyus and Jared, and, I mean, these almost these are names who didn't get hurt on defense, <laughs> names who did, and I won't say that there's people calling for Beamer to step down, because that would be an exaggeration. I mean, he's almost like Paterno where, I mean, unless there's some sort of, you know, unprecedented scandal, but Paterno was going to get to pick his time to leave, and if not for what happened. And I have a feeling it's going to be a similar situation with Beamer, and he doesn't want to coach forever exactly, but, you know, he's got his son Shane on the on the staff, and obviously, you know, his loyal conciliary uh you know, Bud Foster, and one of those guys will probably get the the job when Beamer does step down. But I think this this bowl victory is important for two reasons. One, you know, you end on a win, and you got the extra time to develop some of your young players and things like that. But two, I don't know if you saw Frank Beamer with his guys, but he he's not always Mr. Fun, exactly, but. He really was loose. I mean, you know, he was doing some, you know, dancing in the locker room. And, I mean, it was just funny. You know, it was just different. And I don't know if maybe he has come to a place in his coaching career where he's decided, hey, you know, I've, I've done a lot of great things. Let me just make sure that I'm about the kids and relate to them and, you know, let them know I'm a person and, you know, I'm not just this old white guy that yells at them all the time. I mean, I thought it was interesting the way that he reacted to this. People sort of laughed about his reaction to, you know, the, the end of of regulation tie with Wake Forest, and like I said, the the bowl victory that wasn't you know, it wasn't like the Orange Bowl or the Rose Bowl, you know, but they, it was a bowl victory. And some people it's like this sort of shots at it. I think he was trying to show something to his players about. Well, because he's an older guy, but enjoy this. You know, this is this is this is supposed to be fun. And I think guys like Saban forget that at times. <laughs> hey, kids, this is supposed to be fun. I don't think he says that very often to his players. Hey, let's go out there and have some fun. I mean, I think he does. Maybe he does. I think I just missed it when he said that. But I saw that this year from Beamer, despite the fact it was kind of a tough year. I mean, they were bowl eligible, so I guess it wasn't that tough, but. This is a program that, once again, not all that long ago was contending for national championships, which is actually 
shocking when you think about it. Once again, Blacksburg, um, on those lists of places, Fresno, Norman, Blacksburg. Blacksburg's actually the smallest of the three by a significant amount. Norman's not very big. And Fresno's actually a fairly decent-sized city. But Blacksburg is basically Virginia Tech and some stuff that Virginia Tech students need that's attached, basically, in this town. So, yeah, Christiansburg and Blacksburg are the two cities, cities in air quotes, that are on the each side of, of the school, basically, where the school dominates everything in that area. Uh, it is in the far southwestern central, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's sort of below the middle, so I guess it's just south of the central western part of the state of Virginia, which is not very population-dense. The state, like many states, is postal in terms of the way its population is. So you've got D.C. up here, and you've got the coastal areas where I grew up, uh, Tidewater, where the Navy and tourism creates most of the large cities, large by Virginia standards, cities of over 100,000 people. Uh, outside of the bedroom communities that surround D.C., like, you know, Annandale and Arlington and Falls Church, whatever. So outside of those cities, and actually most of those are less than 100,000 people, except for Arlington, maybe getting close to it, probably about 80,000, 90,000. Then you've got Richmond, sort of towards the middle of the state, which, because it's the state capital, has, you know, about 270,000 people. Like I said, you've got the coastal area where I grew up where you've got about three cities of, you know, um, Chesapeake, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, all over 100,000 people. Portsmouth is, Hampton is. And then you've got nothing in terms of population density. So as you go inland, really, to speak of, uh, until you leave Virginia, I mean, that's it for cities of over 100,000 people. It's, uh, Virginia is very polarized in terms of where the people are. Virginia Tech is not near anything except itself. I mean, that's, that's it. The Virginia Polytechnical Institute supports Christiansburg and, of course, Blacksburg itself. But those two little, um, whatever you call them, like in cities, I mean, they are, you know, cities in that they're incorporated areas with people. Depend upon which you detect for, you know, everything. I mean, the, the the students and staff and everything, um, they rent, you know, the housing stock in the area and the, you know, apartments and houses. I mean, there be you know, housing, you know, outside of the people who would live there farming or whatever if there was no Virginia Tech. Uh, the T-shirt shops and frozen yogurt shops and Mexican food places, whatever, all that stuff is because of Virginia Tech. So, once again, you're selling people on, you know, the beautiful, it is very quiet. And beautiful. It is actually a beautiful country. Let me let me say that. It is God's country, as they say. The, the skies are lovely. And, you know, you've got the mountains. Not mountains. Mountains is not a word. Hills. You've got the foothills. I guess the foothills of the Alleghenies or whatever. Or not Alleghenies. Piedmont. Sorry. Foothills of Piedmont. If you like turkey hunting or, or, or deer hunting, they got that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm saying these are the selling points. And then you got Virginia Tech football. I mean, those those are the things. You like to hunt, like to fish. Yep, we got that. And there's Virginia Tech football. And yeah, also that's that's really good. basketball team. Basketball team's not too basketball bad either. Basketball team's pretty good now too. It didn't used to be. Um, Coach Meyer, Charlie Meyer, who 
most of you are too young to remember, but he had a nice little run when they had um, uh, Steph Curry's dad, uh, who was a George Del Curry, was a very fine two-sport athlete in high school, very good quarterback. But uh, he chose to concentrate on basketball over here at Tech, and they had a guard named Bimbo Cole, who also had a few years in the uh, league as well. And during that little run that he had those guys for four years, Virginia Tech uh, basketball was good. Very good, in fact. And they were in the old Metro Conference. Before they left the Metro to join the Big East. But yes, they're, they're, they're good again. And in the ACC. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the baseball program is not bad either. But I'm saying if you're selling the program, you're not using Blacksburg as a major part of your, your pitch. If you're going to come here and play football for Frank Beamer. And he's been there long enough that now he's got some sons. You know, he's now working on generation two of some guy that he recruited. I, I think he might have recruited Kevin Blanding, who's Quinn Blanding's dad, but Kevin had great problems, ended up going some small school somewhere, and I think eventually sort of failing out of there, too, and that's around in some of those uh, little, like, uh, what do you call it, like uh, little regional semi-pro leagues, but Kevin Blanding, I played against his Quinn Blanding's dad, was a hell of a little running back. Um, but, the, but yeah, he's a he's a fixture. That's the term. I mean, at some point, there's going to be a statue of Frank Beamer on the campus of Virginia Tech. But, there had begun some rumbling. Um, he had been basically forced, once it forced, but strongly encouraged to demote Brian Steinspring, who had been his offensive coordinator for many years, bring in, you know, some other offensive minds, and they didn't work out either, quite frankly. I mean, Michael Kane, I mean, they, they're still searching for an offensive identity. They've recently brought in Scott Leffler, who I think is probably the right man for the job. But the kinds of quarterbacks that he's best at coaching, I mean, you know, these guys made his bones at Michigan. I don't know if they can get those guys, quite frankly, uh, to, to, to Blacksburg. I mean, we're, we're pretty good at getting, you know, I mean, Logan Thomas was sort of a happy accident. But we're pretty good at getting guys like Brian Randall and, you know, Tyrod uh, Taylor. And if everything aligns correctly, you get a guy like Mike Vick every, every once in a blue moon. I mean, that's a... Mike's undoubtedly the biggest name. I mean, even as coming out of high school, the biggest name player they've ever managed to successfully land up there in Blacksburg. And that was at the height of the Virginia Tech program. I mean, obviously, he took them even higher. They went to the Sugar Bowl and, you know, like they were playing for the national championship. I mean, they were ranked number two in the nation or something at one point. I mean, that's unheard of at Virginia Tech. When. Bill Dooley, the brother of, of Vince Dooley, was the head coach there. They were a seven-win, six-seven-win season. Uh, to you know, that, that was a good season, six-seven wins. Now that's not so acceptable anymore. You, you know, you win six-seven wins now. Now, you know, like I said, Beamer to some extent is a victim of his success because he's taken Virginia Tech places where you know I can't even explain to you how different the perception of Virginia Tech now is from what it was in the seventies when they were just kind of a bleh program where, you know, the most 
prior to, to Beamer, the most uh, newsworthy thing to happen to Virginia Tech football was when Coach uh, Bill Dooley killed the kid with equity. I mean, basically, yeah, they killed strong word, but Frank Borges uh, got punishment drilled until he died. So how are we going to put that? That was the most newsworthy thing to happen to Virginia Tech football until Coach Beamer got elevated to head coach. And so he's now, you know, heading towards retirement, I'm assuming. I mean, I, I don't want to assume. Obviously, guys like Bill Snyder and, and, you know, Paterno sometimes end up coaching well into their 70s. But he's well into his 60s. And I don't think he's going to coach too much longer. But I also believe he wants to go out. I mean, these are all super competitive people who go out a winner. I think he wants to close out maybe with a bang is too strong a word, but at least with the program headed on the upswing. And I guess I'll bring in recruiting guru, Dobbin James, once again. <laughs> now, Virginia Tech has never been a place that gets four- and five-star recruits. Like, boom, boom, boom. That's never been their, their game. I mean, once again, it's closer to what you said with, with Snyder, only without the Juco flavor. But it's two and three stars. It's a two-and-a-half-star recruit program, basically. What's been going on recruitment-wise for Virginia Tech? They just landed a five-star. Well, in some people's eyes, I have another four-star, Tim Settle, um, from Virginia, right. the Virginia kid. I think he's a four-star. Um, he's huge. He's 325 pounds. That's what he weighed in at this week. Um, he's six one and a half. Um, nose tackle, play up front. He play. He wanted to play right away, um, and that was a part of him going to Virginia Tech. Uh, they need a guy up front right away. He's a guy that can come in and, and definitely play that uh, defensive tackle position uh, right now. Um, Stonewall Jackson High School. Um, not too much of a Virginia guy, but <laughs> that's what high school he went to, if you're familiar with that one, Bill. But uh, I'm, I'm they, familiar with it, yes. Yeah, I mean, Virginia as a state, I just want to say, um, is shelling out defensive players. I mean, Quinn Blanding, best safety in the country last year, Josh Sweat, um, best defensive player in the country this year. Um, they got a guy next year that's uh, number one linebacker, uh, outside linebacker in the country from Virginia. Um and it's not just, you know, they've got tons of defensive talent. I think there's seven guys in the top uh, 50 of next year's class that are from Virginia, you know, homegrown guys. So, I mean, you, you keep a guy like Tim Settle, um, you know, in state, and that's a great job. Um, you keep a guy um, – you keep the Fort, Fort uh, Union military school guys. Um, they got three of them this year. Their recruiting, recruiting class is really good. Um, that's special to have that academy, um, that and Hargraves uh, Academy uh, in Virginia. Um, a lot of guys, you know, obviously Percy Harvey, you know, Christian Hackenberg went to Fort Union as well. Tons of guys at Fort Union and Hargraves Academy, of course, but there's just a few names there. But they got to get the quarterback. <laughs> you know, Michael Brewer was pretty highly touted, but, I mean, he had his struggles for sure this year. I mean, he had his injuries too. Um, we had a guy on named Max Daver. Um, that was really highly recruited. He's a four-star. He uh, is definitely that's one of the top five schools he mentioned when he was on the show um, and talking to him. Um, definitely talked to Scott Leffler just recently, actually, just to update you guys. Um, so it's definitely a strong possibility he might go there. Um, a, a JUCO guy, you know, that was from, that was at Florida, you know, and uh, transferred out. So that, that's a possibility right there. At quarterback, I don't know their quarterback situation, but I know their defense is going to be good. <laughs> Beamer ball at, a, at its best. Uh, and the guys he were, him and Bud Foster got this year, um, you know, the defensive guys. Bud Foster does a lot of the recruiting. I mean, I'm not think, saying Frank Beamer is like just a figurehead or anything, but he, 
when they go out on a recruiting trip, he's not there. You know, <laughs> you know, he, he stays at home. You know, he'll do the at-home visit. He'll definitely be talking to the parents. He's not texting. You know, <laughs> I mean, Beamer's not there on social media, um, laughing yeah. it up. LOL and with the players or anything like that. Or he's not going out to he's not going out to California um, to eleven o'clock LA games. You know what I mean? Bud Foster and his recruiting staff is doing that. You know, but uh, they're doing a good job, man. This year, I gotta give them a little credit. Actually, like I said, um, they got a guy named Trayvon Hill who's playing defensive end from Virginia Beach Salem High School. So I mean, that's a four star right there. Another one. Defensive line is looking really good. Um, actually. So impressed by what what they've done. Um, they usually don't get the four or five times guys like you said, but um, they got a couple this year, and they're on defense, and that's where you, you know Bud and, and Frank made their money. Um, special teams and defense. So it'd be interesting to see what they have at the receiver position and at quarterback. Though so, um, not deep, not very great <laughs> at those positions. Really ever. Quarterback wise, like I said, Byron Randall, like you mentioned, Michael Vick, of course, Marcus was was good sometimes <laughs> there, and uh, Tara Taylor, I really really think was highly of as well. Um, and like I said, they just had uh, Logan Thomas and then Brewer right now, so we'll see who who plays that quarterback. They usually have a guy that winds up in a camp or in the NFL, so I mean they're usually okay at quarterback and receivers. Haven't really had great receivers, but uh, they've they've got some guys. Um, you know, Juco, I know why it's coming in. Done a good job there. So we'll see. You know, I definitely think Frank Bremer is definitely on his way out. I wouldn't run him out of town or anything like that. He's earned too much respect. He's done too good of a job taking, like you said, I mean, team that was just zero, you know, prominence basically <laughs> um, to, you know, high, high, high regards now. Um, still showing out top NFL players, especially at the DB position, you know, Kyle Fuller and guys like that. So, We'll see, man. Um, I think they, they, you know, bowl team always, you know, definitely always going to make a bowl game. Definitely always going to have good defenders. We'll just have to see what they do on the uh, skill positions. That's just what they're lacking, you know, when you look at it. Um, the ACC, you know, Clemson, Florida State, you know, okay. even got Maryland done a good job at skill positions. So they're, that's where they're going to have to fight at the skill position, you know. Um, they're fighting those ACC teams. Yeah, of course, Maryland is, technically speaking, in the Big Ten, which still seems wrong. Oh, yeah, but, sorry. Uh, yeah, I forgot about <laughs> no, no, that. Yeah, okay. gonna... No, it's, yeah. it's not your fault. It's their fault. They don't belong <laughs> in the Big Ten. It's just silly, but I, I'll try that to go and get another rant about that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dogs and cats living together. Things falling up. Um, I'm I'm old school when it comes to conferences, man. You know that, so I just yeah, I know, I know. Oh, then they. I grew I think, up in uh, AC, I grew up in the yeah. ACC country, so if he could bother you, imagine what those things. Uh, and, and I just want to mention, you know, of course, Notre Dame next year is playing a ACC schedule. They're not in the conference or whatever. It's five, six games. It's five yeah, games in the ACC, so that's right, another thing you're going to have to look out for. They're half. They're half in the ACC. That's another thing that drives me nuts. Like oh, we want to go all the way, but you could feel us up under our skirt. What? Um, I, I, mean, I don't know. It's just Catholic teases. But um, the uh, okay, I want to get one more program, and obviously this is a program that does do monster big time, you know, recruiting and scores a lot of five stars, and had a 
I think, an impactful victory over another program we just discussed, and that's Clemson. Now, Clemson, of course, is like the girl with the curl. Um, when they're good, they're very, very good, and when they're bad, they're horrid. Pete Smith. There has been no coach I can think of. Well, no, I take it back. I mean, Les Miles is probably top. When I think about a coach who is given somehow both seen as, it's almost like Forrest Gump or, or the, the character of Chauncey and being there. Like, some people think he's, like, secretly a savant genius, and others are convinced that someone else dresses him in the case of Coach uh, Dabo Sweeney. But he is one of the more successful coaches in Clifton history. His first few years there, I mean, he, his, his winning percentage for his first few years there is in the same breath as Frank Howard, who was a Hall of Fame coach, and I think not far off the pace, and maybe ahead, I've checked, the pace of Tommy Bowden, who, well, you know, is the third best Bowden, but still a pretty good coach. One, as you assess, you're, you know, like another guy who was a wide receiver's coach and a wide receiver himself, who, without being a coordinator, worked that elevated to a head coaching job, which rarely happens, but how do you assess him as a coach and what do you see happening for Clemson? which certainly is a talent-rich program, but seems to struggle to put it all together. Well, I mean, Clemson gets athletes. I mean, that's their thing. They get they put speed guys on the outside. They put undersized, undersized guys and pass rushers, uh, and they just let guys run. I mean, that's that's their thing. Whether it's tailback, receiver, whatever, they, that's all they do. But it's always difficult to recruit when you are in North, South Carolina, it just is. It's you all. You have to do a lot of your recruiting outside of the state, and it's not easy. I mean, that's uh, people forget how you know how little regard uh, South Carolina had. Before, you know, when Steve Spurrier took the program, I mean, he was regarded as sort of impossible to win there. Clemson, it's it's not far off. Uh, it's just so hard to to get and maintain talent because you have to fight two conferences off and basically every school you're competing against has way more prestige than you do uh, as far as success, sustained success. And and Clemson's always been the school and everybody keeps saying Clemsoning this year. This is not new. This is what Clemson does. They, They have had so many heartbreaking losses. Uh, questionable, you know, season-ending uh, losses. All these, all these things where they've they've had, you know, everybody thought they were going to, you know, turn the corner, and it's just, it's difficult. But, you know, Dabo Sweeney, give him credit. Whatever you think about his offense, he's, he's making the most of, of what he gets, and he's he's making it attractive to people who, uh, the athletes to go there. They play early, and they play often, and they get a lot of touches. Uh, obviously, Sammy Watkins got as many touches as possible, and you know he, he got drafted fourth, fourth overall, stupidly. And here we go with guys like Martavis Bryant, uh, you know Andre Ellington. These are guys who are not uh, only you know they were great at Clemson, but you know they're, they're both enjoying success at the next level. Luke Hopkins, I mean they. They get when they get players, they showcase them. Now, they, you know, the defensive end conundrum has, has been something that hurt them, but it's not. They're not the ones doing it. They they put these guys on a pedestal and they get picked uh, often too high. But you know, when they get these guys, in this, in this case, it was 
Vic Beasley and a, and, a, and a guy I'm kind of interested to take more of a look at, Corey Crawford, who's uh, a senior bowl invite and who's accepted to go. With the, with the size, that you really aren't sort of uh, with, with great size for the position potentially at the next level. And there are times when I watch Beasley and Crawford's the guy who sort of, uh, you know, took my, took my focus away because he's uh, getting pressure on the other side. It's not it's it's a school that seems to struggle struggle to get every other position. Uh, I mean, Taj Boyd had a very nice run, uh, but I mean they don't typically get much when it comes to quarterbacks. They typically struggle when it comes to to, to some of their linebackers. Now, then this is a school that historically has had a lot of success at that position, including you know Mount Kirkland uh, coming out of that program. But safeties, these are, you know, they they have a really hard time getting some of these positions where they, they, you know, they get the athletic guys, put them in and go, and that, you know, that that works. And they obviously have had some success, the big win against Ohio State in the uh, Orange Bowl and and some of these big wins. So, you know, Devo's overachieving, in my opinion, relative to what uh, do – Considering what they're they're battling with, but you know they're they are simply outgunned and outmanned when it comes to trying to compete with with Florida State uh, in, in terms of in terms of recruiting and 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 just being a consistent performer and it you know getting getting a team like Duke uh, with with the job David Cutcliffe's doing there it makes it that much harder for for a team like Clemson to to really succeed where you know they aren't. It, they aren't, you know, they have enough trouble as it is. They don't need a team like Duke being consistently good to then make them look worse and then have all these uh, prospects that may have considered going there then, then just saying, screw it, we're going to the SEC, whether it's Tennessee or the, the annoying uh, force that every team sort of hates right now, which is Kentucky and what they've been able to do in the recruiting world. So Clemson, South Car- schools in South Carolina, it's a rough, it's a rough road to go. Uh, you know, most of most so many players seem to like Clemson based on their uniforms more than anything else, and then they just don't end up staying there, going there, whatever. So you're sort of like Oregon, you're saying they they say, "Oh wow, look at that beautiful uniform." I mean. Yeah, yes, uh, but Oregon's obviously, you know, had a little more staying power. I think I think you could certainly make the case that they're sort of a, uh, I wouldn't say poor man's, I would say reasonable reasonable man's Oregon. I mean, if they had sort of the backing that that Oregon has had with Nike and everything else, right. uh, I think I think they could be that. But I mean, relative to to what they have and what they have to offer, you know, that's to me that's that's what Oregon would be like if it didn't have, you know, some of the backing that they, they've had and some of the, the fortune they've had with, with who's part of that program. Clemson's just sort of the school in South Carolina that's not really supposed to do well, and, and they keep sort of doing better than they than people would expect. Yeah, I remember when Danny Ford, you know, seemingly a million years ago, but, I mean, they won a quote-unquote national championship there. And I don't want to say it was unexpected. They've been good the year before. I think about eight and three or something like that. But 
people thought there was sort of the cap at which you could do, as you said, you know, there was this perception that you could only go so far, only do so much. And then, you know, shortly after the, you know, the Homer Jordan, uh, Perry Tuttle team, he recruits uh, the Perry brothers first, you know, uh, William and then later uh, uh, Michael Dean. And they had a little run. I mean, you know, nine wins, right around nine wins consistently, even after the, the national championship run. And then I think Danny Ford just uh, took another job. That's what happened with him. He, you know, he, he struck while the iron is fairly hot. And was it Arkansas? I think it was Arkansas when I had the job he took. And, you know, struggled mightily, if I remember correctly, after that, and then was, you know, retired. But it's, it's a place where people have had some success. I mean, like I said, Frank Howard's in the Hall of Fame. Um, they've, they've had, you know, a national championship. Once again, you know, it was a quote unquote, you know, mythical or whatever term you want to use, and that it was, you know, all done by. But they did go undefeated, you know, and, you know, the voters awarded the national championship. So it's possible to succeed there. But when you put it the way you put it, Pete, it's clear that somebody's doing something right when you win. 10, 11, 12 games, which, you know, it would take to be in national championship contention, you can't just be lucky. You're doing something right as a coach if you manage to get there. Yeah, I think Donald's doing a really good job there um, with those kids. He, you know, former he, he's one of, like, the true recruiting guys because um, he plays guys so early. Um and you know we we you know recruiting guys love that you know we love to see the guys who just recruited play right away, and you know he was a recruiting coordinator you know um developed right. men of wide receivers has been really good obviously you know you get a five star in like Deshaun Watson um stealing him from from Georgia um he's good at stealing your best guy from your state away I feel like um he stole Micah Hyatt this year the best uh, offensive tackle in the country from Georgia they went after him super hard stole him you know so they they've done a really good job there actually, um, in the state of Georgia. And I feel like people call them the third team in Virginia, you know, because they do such a good job there. Um, their recruiting classes have been the best in Virginia. They've gotten the best kids in the state. Um, they, they always – and that's, that's been true yeah. even going back to the, the late 70s. They were always doing a good job of, of – actually, North Carolina did the best job in those days getting kids out of Virginia. They're getting guys like famous name as Lawrence and Lawrence Taylor and big guys like that, but not far behind – uh, like I said, that's what that's the thing that, that Frank Beamer changed. It, was, it used to be that, you know, Virginia and Virginia Tech were, weren't fighting with the ACC schools for the top kids of Virginia. They were fighting with Richmond and William & Mary for the third and fourth best kids, for the third and fourth best kids in the state. And that's what, that's what it was. I'm not kidding when I say that. That was what it was. They were literally within their own state. Virginia and Virginia Tech were going after the third and fourth best kids. And the guys that changed that were George Welsh at Virginia and Beamer at Virginia Tech, and suddenly you had, you know, a change in the dynamics. And still, uh, as you said, Clemson gets a, a good amount of, of talent out there. The pipeline to UNC has dried up a little bit. You don't see as many Virginia kids, top Virginia kids, being up at UNC for whatever reason that they used to. They used to yeah. Stand. Yeah. Yeah, not as many, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, since Radovich has taken over the athletic director, um, when he came over from Georgia Tech, I think he came over in 2011. He's done a really good job. I mean, they, I think they put $900 million in that uh, in the facility. The upgrades are phenomenal there. I mean, Clemson's another town that 
nice little southern town. Um, nothing too too crazy, too big going on there. Um, just a good school academic wise, and like I said, a rich tradition. Um, in all sports, really. I mean, I know their basketball team is like great. Their baseball team is amazing. Um, definitely one of the best in the country. Um, basketball team definitely getting better. Um, facilities are definitely much much improved, and that's it. And then the the, the you know the football stadium is just it's one of the best traditions in college football. I love Clemson home games out uh, when they play at night when they got the bus rocking and they're rolling down you know the hill. Um, it's fun those games and the other Death Valley. <laughs> um, they're fun to watch for sure. Like I said, Donald's done a great job in his seven years. Um, I think he's one bad season where he, you know, won like seven games. Other than that, I mean, it's been 10, 11 wins. Um, I think they can turn the corner. Um, this is definitely the time to do it with a guy like number four, Watson, at quarterback, um, as, long, as long as he can stay healthy, you know, which he definitely didn't stay healthy this year. He got put out there with some uh, big-time injuries. But, yeah, I, I really I like what Clemson's done. I like that one a lot. It's going to be interesting to see what they do on offense without Chad Morris, one of my favorite coordinators. Um, they're going to go to the co-coordinator system. Not big a fan of that. <laughs> it's um, but uh, you know, but but keeping Jeff Scott around was a big thing to me. Um, you know, and he's sharing time with Tony Elliott, co-offensive coordinator. But keeping, I thought Jeff Scott was going to go to SMU as well. So for him to stay or go to another school, whatever you know, big name school in the country. So him staying is a huge, huge deal. That kept a lot of guys uh, there. But Chad Moore's did a really good job. Um, at getting getting guys in that maybe maybe wouldn't have gone there. So it's gonna be interesting to see uh, if they can keep those same kids because it is tough to recruit there. But they've done a really good job. Top twenty five every year. Goblet's been there. And if you're in the top twenty five at Clemson, you can't complain. You know, and you're getting skill position guys left and right. It's fun football to watch. They kind of are the organ of the South a little bit um, with the style they play, the points they put up, and you know the uniforms and things like that. And there's, uh, you know, the tradition that they have, uh, the the recent tradition. I know there's a lot of kids like Clemson. You know, they'll go to Clemson. Um, they'll definitely give them a visit, if not, you know, committing to there. So from anywhere, you know, like I said, I mean, I know Sean's from close. He's not too far away. But, you know, they, I mean, Colts out was a pretty big-time recruit from Ohio. Uh, you know, they're getting guys from Indiana taking their best guy, you know, just taking, the, uh, taking you know, there's only so many five and four stars in Indiana. You're taking at least one every year. That's a really big deal, you know, because um, there's no school in Indiana. I mean, obviously Notre Dame, you know, but Indiana, and, uh, you know, with other school there, they're not getting guys, you know, <laughs> Purdue. Purdue? other school there, <laughs> Purdue, yeah. <laughs> they're not getting guys. They're not getting the four. They're not getting a fourth time at all. Indiana is a farm for Notre Dame. That's all. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. And if you're not if you're not interested in going there, you're up for grabs. Basically, yeah. That's definitely what I was getting at. Yeah, definitely. Ohio State will get you or Clemson will dive in or whoever. Uh, you know, you'll go to California or Arizona or whatever, other schools. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really – but I really do think Clemson next year, um, they're going to be pretty good. I don't, I don't think college will play off or anything, but uh, – they're like a year out. Like I said, not next year, it'll be the year after that. Once Watson is in that junior year and he's uh made the maturation process, I believe he'll make. And uh they're young guys, they have a lot of sophomores on the team, we'll get those guys to stay and they'll be seniors. And I think they'll be right back in uh the college football playoff discussion. Um, but I mean Dobble's gonna win his eight, nine, ten games. 
you know, he's definitely safe. I know a lot of people are talking about him leaving, even taking maybe even a bigger job. But I think he loves Clemson. He loves it there. I don't think he'll leave for a while. I think he actually might be one of the young coaches um, that stays at a program for 20 years. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be Joe Paul or Bill Stein or anything, but I know we were talking about that on the show uh, a few weeks ago. I think he's one of the young guys that might stay for a really, really long time. Here's another one of those sort of correlations, I guess, between Oregon and Clemson, because you said that about Helfrich as well, that that's a guy you thought might stay for 20 years to the same job. Exactly, yeah. That that's, I really do think Helfrich is going to stay there. He, they, they love – I mean, I know everyone says that, but these guys actually – you know, you, you don't see these guys going to the NFL. Um, and, you know, why leave Oregon? You know, you have everything you need. Your family's young. He just started his family not that long ago. Helfrich just turned 41. Um, you know, he's got very young kids. He's from Oregon. His wife's from Oregon. She went there. I mean, just stay, you know. <laughs> you, you're going to have a statue not too long. You know, you bought a possibly win a national title, you know, <laughs> in your first four years. And then, you know, Adaba, yeah, they go, they won the one national championship. Um People don't remember that he's recruiting, though. You know, they don't remember that national championship. <laughs> they weren't alive. You know, those guys are born 1993, 1995, even not 1993 anymore, just super young guys. <laughs> so they look at all the NFL success, and that's what they're looking at. And they're saying, okay, you know, Danny Watkins, Martavis Bryant, Andre Ellison, Thomas Boyd, all these guys, you know. So stay there. You know, you can recruit really well, and your expectations aren't too crazy high. You know, you win your nine, ten games. And maybe you'll get your national championship every once in a while. I think you can win one at Clemson. Um, eventually, you just got to figure with the talent they put in, they can turn it around and get, at least get in the discussion. You know, sometimes you don't have to – I think Nick Saban had a quote about not winning trophies or something like that. <laughs> I don't know about that for Alabama, but for Clemson, <laughs> you know, definitely getting into the discussion would just be great. They're knocking on the door. I mean, they've been super close when they had Taj. and I mean, them losing Kyle Parker, uh, Parker early was pretty tough, too. He was a really good quarterback. That kind of set him back a little bit. But uh, they got, you know, lucky with Taj because he's a Virginia kid. <laughs> yep. <laughs> got him yep. from there. Yep. And, you know. Kicked kick in high school, yeah. Um, I yep. wonder, where the heck is, where the heck is Kyle Parker? He, he, he's still in the, in the Colorado Rockies organization. Yeah, he's he's uh I think he's close to being moved up now to the major leagues, but he's he he kinda of started he had a rocky start, I know, from the beginning. And I'm not too much of a baseball guy, but I kept up with him because I did like him as a quarterback. Um but yeah, he was in that Rockies organization, uh with Russell Wilson. Um, you know, playing uh middle infield, shortstop third base type of deal. But yeah, I mean I hope it's the best for him. He was a good good quarterback, I thought, a guy that would have got drafted and, you know, definitely been on a roster. You know, not nothing too crazy. He could size with a limit of them, kind of a smaller guy. But uh, rocket arm, played good, played good early. I think he plays a yeah, freshman, yeah. redshirt freshman sophomore. He was, he was the offensive newcomer of the year in the conference. In fact, his redshirt freshman season. Yeah. So, you know, a guy like that, you know, you missed out on him early. And, you know, you missed out on Willie Corn. <laughs> you know, um, Whitehurst had an okay career, I guess. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, pretty good, pretty good. They want some games, but yeah, I mean that was pretty double to me. But yeah, I mean he he they've had quarterbacks. They always have quarterbacks. Often the skill guy and uh, 
freaks on the outside. Always looking beast. Yes. But. Yes. Um, and if they can ever really put together a really solid offensive line to go with that, yeah, there's some things could happen for them. It'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting test case uh, because we're about to find out if the, the quote unquote new system makes it easier for you know your, your non-monster you know what I call uh, flagship programs to you know do you have to be USC, do you have to be Alabama, do you have to be Oregon, do you have to be um, Ohio State you know, in order to win it, or will the new system help? You know, now, you know, the, I don't know, whoever you want to throw out there, Utahs and Boise's and, uh, you know, who are Clemson's of the world to win a national championship, despite the fact that they, they may not be teams that your grandmother you know, moment tells you how intercultural your grandmother is. But they might be programs your grandmother's not familiar with. Uh, I'm going to jump back. Speaking of sort of off, not off the beaten path, but Fresno is a place that has obviously a tradition, but not the same as, you know, the quote-unquote flagship program. One more time, what's more into the breach? James, looking at the quote-unquote mid-majors and how the, the new system treat them, uh, one, do you think there's still the possibility that a quote-unquote mid-major, you know, Utah State or whoever it is, you know, whoever you want to name, could still make a run to end up in the Final Four? Can that still happen? Or do you think they've kind of been cut out of that ability to eat from that pie? And if so, what did they do next? Well, you mean, will a Mountain West Conference team end up in the national championship discussion? Is that right? Right, exactly. So, I mean, right, the quote unquote mid majors, and yes, the 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 Mountain West uh, Conference teams are. I mean, they. The I mean, the mid major teams they they have to figure their they have to get their stuff together um, without you know using that cuss word. Uh, they, in general, I mean, if you're talking about the Mountain West Conference, this has not been the best of the year um, to kind of show off your stuff. Yeah, I know Boise State had a big win and everything like that, but you haven't watched some of the Boise State games I've seen this year. Um, they've not played that well in every single game I've seen of them. So, um, that, I mean, that definitely was a great bowl win for them, but it's not uh, the best example of the conference. I think no, that, it was a down year for them, yeah. Yeah, it was a down year for the conference in general. I mean, teams like Wyoming, um, New Mexico, Air Force, uh, you know, Utah State, Colorado State. Um, I mean, Colorado State, Utah State were probably the strongest teams, and obviously everybody should have seen the Utah game and went, oh, okay, that's that, that's the difference. You know, so uh, I think that in general, um, and, and of course the MAC, I haven't even talked about the MAC, which the MAC is this sort of uh, mysterious conference now where, um, yeah, there's a lot of good football going on and stuff like that, but nobody seems to care that much. At least the NFL doesn't <laughs> care that much for some reason. Um, with certain players, not every player, but some, um, or at least the majority. And Conference USA has become less of a competitive team with other teams like East Carolina leaving and um, some of that stuff happening. And then you know the American Athletic State, American Athletic Conference, which I just want to call the Big East, but whatever. You know that conference is still trying to figure out stuff, added teams like Tulsa and uh, Tulane, and um, they're 
I mean, the, the bottom line is, is I, I don't think it, it helps any of those teams because ultimately um, the power conferences are going to get the advantage. Um, is there any representative in the, the college football playoff committee that's of a, uh, you know, of, I mean, I think there's a, I think one of the guys is in, uh, with the Big East, but um, it's definitely a Big Ten, Pac-12, power conference heavy sort of uh, voting. And when the standings were coming out, um, it, it showed that it reflected that uh, heavily. You know, uh, some people say SEC bias, but whatever. You know, <laughs> like it's uh, it's. I mean, that's sort of the power five. It's just going to be like that. I think the, the playoff systems will be more power five oriented. Um, and uh, I have to say, I disagree with them because you know the, there's teams in these other conferences that are just not that great. There's, there's always going to be a team every now and then from those conferences that transcends it. So there's always going to be one team that even though they're playing in this bad conference or this lower level conference is going to be good enough to compete with everybody, uh, probably even contend. But I don't think the playoff committee is going to take a chance on that um, because they have to believe wholeheartedly in it. You know, they have to, And they also have to have the press as well, which is something that those other conferences you're not going to get a lot of. I mean, ESPN is not going to talk about, you know, Conference USA and the MAC that much. I mean, they'll talk about it occasionally, but they're not going to lead the story with what's going on at Middle Tennessee State, right? <laughs> you know, they're not going to be talking about, you know, uh, Fresno State, underrated rivalry of USC. Like, no, that's what's going to happen. So, in general, I mean, I don't know if those teams – or Sun Belt even, which I even forgot to mention them, but why even mention the Sun Belt? You know, there's a Sun Belt. You know, there's a, you know, it's not a bad conference per se, but it's it's definitely one that people don't, like, consider very highly. So I think the Power Five is just going to be the Power Five. They're going to keep doing what they're doing. And all the other guys are just going to be on the outside looking in. And maybe there might be one team. There might be one team that gets a lot of press, and stuff like that, and maybe even gets in the top ten. But they have to they have to schedule teams on their calendar that are very good teams and beat those teams. And uh, that's I mean I don't know what the schedule looks like next year. I haven't taken a look at that, but that's the only way I can really see a lower mid tier team really doing that is they have to go undefeated. And second and secondly, they have to have some teams on their schedule that are really good teams. Um, former, yeah, former title contenders, right, and then beat those teams, which is hard to do. It's hard to go undefeated in any conference, and it's also hard to beat a team that's really good uh, with the with the recruiting advantages and everything else like that. So uh, all I'm trying is it's a very uh, I I don't want to say wishful thinking, but it's it's like a blue moon event if it were to happen. Everything would have to line up just right for this random thing to happen. So, so I, I doubt it happens. So if I'm understanding you correctly, if I'm uh, Coach uh, Puente at uh, Memphis, I need to continue to schedule SEC schools, continue to recruit my little brains out and scheme and plot so that in three years when I beat Ole Miss or whoever it is that I'm playing, and run the table in my conference, I'm then in a position to hopefully be noticed. Is that essentially what you're saying the plan has to be? 
Exactly. But not only do you have to beat Ole Miss, you have to embarrass Ole Miss. You have to beat them oh. so badly that it gets on national attention. And people go, did you see what Memphis just did? To, you know, like, they have to do that. Yeah. They have to beat them, but not only do they have to beat them, they have to beat them in such a factor that people, people, so that people won't say, oh, well, they were barely hanging out in that game. You know what I mean? Like, people start to say stuff like that. But Memphis right. is a good example. So, because, you know, so the recipe for success, as I understand it, is to, you know, build your build your team, obviously, as any yeah, coach wants Yeah, build your team, but she can't. Right. Right, recruit, recruit your brains out. Um, can you schedule SEC schools? And then when you finally get whoever it is, Old Miss, whoever it is on your schedule, um, you then need to beat them 49 to 17. Yeah, 49 to 17, but decisively, you know. Oh, okay, okay. Like 49 well, so to that, seems, that seems like a nice, uh, fair set of criteria. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not fair, but it's like, you know, the committee, I mean, we already know how the committee thinks because they just had their little playoff thing. We were, we saw it with our own eyes, right? Yeah, so yeah, we did. We saw what they kind of were for and what they weren't for. Um, and because of that, it, it gives you – and I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm just saying it's going to be really, really hard because it's only four spots, not eight spots, not ten spots, not twelve, four. That's, that's right. tough. So, so you would have to have – uh, you'd have to have it. You'd have to schedule SEC teams. Not even SEC. Uh, you know, Memphis is another one of those teams that you you and plus you have to beat somebody who had a good season as well. Because if you beat if he beat Ole Miss, you know, like if 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 Memphis beat if if they beat Ole Miss decisively and they went undefeated and everything else like that, people would go, well, Ole Miss is the best team in the SEC, so they're really not that good. Okay. So, 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 they, so, they, so that's what I mean. It's and I'm not trying to like make an argument here or whatever. I'm not a huge argument, but I'm just saying like that's what's gonna come up. It's a blue moon event. They literally have to recruit their brains out, which is hard being from a lower level competition. They have to go undefeated in their season. They have to play a team that's competing for a national title, you know, at least when January comes they're still healthy and they're they've only had one loss, right? Or two. Right. Maybe. So so here's so now I understand it. Here's what you need to do. You need to schedule an SEC school, or preferably an SEC school, SEC West, preferably. But not any old SEC West school. Preferably the team that ends up winning the SEC West. The only loss they have, in fact, is to you. You run the table. And you beat them decisively, you know, not a squeaker, but like 17 or more points, I guess is what's being said. So three scores, four scores, preferable. Yeah. And then you have a chance. Exactly. Then you have a chance. Yeah. Not a very big <laughs> chance, but a, but a chance. I think that this ball season was very important uh, just because I think a lot of the committee members will look at teams that lost, like a lot of SEC teams that lost, and look at TCU, you know, handily beating their opponent and, um, you know, stuff like that. You know, like the teams that they've wronged, you know, basically uh, for putting Florida State in, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Because at the end of the day, I don't know how you could have watched every team saying that you put the best team in and then you put Florida State in. Like, if that's your criteria, if you're saying it's right. not about right. wins and losses, it's about who's the best team. 
then you should right. have looked at the teams and looked at how they played and then did what Florida State is. But they didn't do that. So uh, not to say this is – I mean, there's going to be biases. There's going to be horse trading. There's going to be all this other kind of stuff. Or at least not maybe horse trading, but, you know, there's definitely going to be deals done. They're pro- in fact, the committee, the committee probably had a, a discussion, like, do we put the Big 12 team in or do we put the Big 10 team in? And, you know, like, possibly, but I don't know. And I know that there was the other guy coming on saying that, oh, well, they don't do that. They do this thing or whatever, like some different kind of voting system. Yeah. So whatever, man. You know, they don't know how they're going to vote. You know, they, they have discussions with each other about how they're going to vote, so don't tell me. They're this little system. But <laughs> I'm just it's a, it's a blue moon event. So I'm saying it's a long shot for a, a team that's not Power 5 to end up in the national championship, or at least end up in the top four. It's a long shot. If they extended it to 18, it be it still be it it still be rare, you know. Like it it'd be really really rare for it to happen with the four. With the eight, it'd be rare, but it wouldn't be as rare. So, but uh, but the bottom line is that those conferences have to get their stuff together. All you know, they have to just become more competitive. And the problem is, is that when you're constantly changing the teams that are in your conference and doing this and doing like there's no established order, right? Uh you tend to have chaos type not chaos, but you, know, you tend to have teams that are, you know, okay, get acclimated to the new conference. Like, okay, we're playing these guys every year. Yeah, that's right. Well Marshall Mar- Mar- is an excellent example. Why Marshall's a great I- example. Marshall when Marshall went up from what was then still called one double A to uh, you know, one A, which we now call FBS. I think they've been in three conferences since then. It wasn't that long ago. Um, to to put a point on it, the first two years that Randy Moss was at Marshall, they were a one double A team. He spent one year playing um, at the FBS level at Marshall. So that's it. Was that tells you it wasn't that long ago because Randy Moss is not that old. But in that time, they've been in three different conferences. They've been in the MAC. They've been in the um, what's that thing called? Uh, the uh, the Sun Belt, and they've been in the um, what are they now? At the Conference USA, right? Okay, so they've yeah, been in the Conference USA. Yeah, they've, been they've in, done a lot of stuff, but as they've done that, they've also decreased at least in competitiveness in certain ways, you know. And you just see that in the recruiting, and you also see that in the t- the type of players that have been drafted from certain schools as well, because the NFL. In a whole finds year or whatever you want to call it, you know, um, kind of the, the better players or whatever were the, recruit, the recruitment, which I haven't looked at the recruitment stuff yet, but, um, yeah, I haven't got to that. Yeah, I probably won't for a couple, maybe a decade I'll get to that. But, um, well, you know. Donovan, Donovan will help you. Donovan can help you with that. Yeah, Donovan will help uh, you. <laughs> but there's yeah. definitely, you know, there used to be a time when, but there used to be a time where, you know, you had, you had MEAC schools, you know, players getting drafted from those schools. And relatively high around. So that's because they had powerhouses in those places. Now they don't really oh, have yeah. that much. Yeah, right. So, I mean, Florida A&M, there was a time when Florida A&M could have beaten, they, not that Notre Dame would have ever played them, but FAM could have beaten Notre Dame. There were years when Notre Dame would have lost to Florida A&M. Not that Notre Dame would have played them. I mean, not, on a, not, not if you exactly. over $10 million. And, and, and that's, and that's actually the better point. That's actually the better point to make. It's just that these other programs from these other mid-tier teams those teams don't really have powerhouses yet. Some of them are, there's 
potential there for it to become that, but they haven't really got that yet. So I think that's, that's you know, but you have to get to that point. The constant shuffling and all this other stuff, I, I'm not saying it's hard to say, not to, like, it's hard to say like it affects things or not or whatever, or like, you know, it's just like, oh, well, you should, that shouldn't affect anything because you're still recruiting and you're still your own team. It's just you're playing different players, but I don't know. I just think that when you have established order and you know what teams you're facing and and you get really competitive, you know, when you play the same team year after year after year after year, you develop, you know, you become more competitive and stuff like that. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just saying it's going to be really, really rare for a mid-tier team to actually end up in the top four. Or even the top eight if that were to happen. Yeah. I think, I think I think three teams legitly, and I was going to say, I think three teams kind of have a chance next year. I mean, Cincinnati, to me, um, their schedule is pretty tough um, for them not to be a power five. And, I mean, they play Ohio State, first of all, and they play Miami again. So those two games right there, I mean, and then they got they have a star quarterback. I mean, they have a well-known quarterback, they have a BCF coach. You know, those are things that are – X factors kind of committee to look at. Uh, so and, you know, Cincinnati is a big city, you know, so it's a big draw, you know, as well. So you got that one for you. BYU, you know, nationally known program. Um, they have a six-year senior Heisman type quarterback. Uh, a school that's already won national championship, won Heisman. So that's another school I feel like. And then Boise, um, their schedule isn't as tough as BYU, and uh, BYU's got the luxury of being independent. And like I told you about Cincinnati's schedule, um, but Boise. Is Boise, you know, they're the most well-known school. They're, they're the Gonzaga, <laughs> you know, um, of uh, right. football. The term, and, the term BCS buster was coined to describe yeah. Boise State University. They they play at BYU actually, so that'll be a game. That'll be a, a you know cancellation game, I guess. They play <laughs> right. Virginia, they play at Virginia, who should be better next year. We said that every year, but I really do think they'll be better next year. But um, but this and, time, <laughs> I think we're right. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, I think we're right. And then they they open up with Washington. Well, obviously Washington's playing a bowl game right now, so we'll see how they look. Um, they play their old coach, you know, first game of the year. Um, they, you know, coming off a fun, fun game, you know, um, down there in Tempe, and beat Arizona, um, you know, top ten team. And uh, it's Boise, like I said. I mean, they play in a. Pretty solid conference. Um, they score a lot of points. They're fun to watch. They're well known. Household name now. Um, tough about thing about Boise is them losing Ajayi at running back. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that was hard to solve. Best player on the team. Defense is great. Better defense next year. Darian Thompson is might be the best safety in the country next year. Um, really, we were talking about him again. Being a season, this guy is showing something. Or at least me, and he showed me a lot. He had a really good season. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Especially towards the end of the year with those interceptions and just all the tackles he made. But Ryan Finley, um, placing Grant Hendricks possibly, or Brent Rippin, um, Mark Rippin's nephew. That's the, yeah. that's the highest recruit they've ever had. Um, he's a four-star quarterback, you know, from Washington area. You know, and well, pedigree. Now, now I'm going to so, ask you this. I thought I thought some people said. Now, once again, I know it's not the same anymore, but some people told me that Aloka was a five-star. Now, is that who? is that just when he got George Iloka, I was told by some people that he was considered a five-star recruit. He, he he was a four-two. I had him as a four. Well, I know a lot of people had him. He was a he was a tweener, four-five. 
I, I saw more four star with him on on most of the most sites. I mean, he's a really good recruit too. I mean, either way, I mean, either way you want to put it. I know Rippin is, you know, like I said, Mark's nephew, um, quarterback. Right. You know, big um, strong kid. Yeah, yeah, big strong. Yeah, he's six three. You know, um, two two or five already. Um, I don't know if he's going to come in and play right away. It just depends what Harrison wants to do. Finley's really good too. He's from Phoenix. They stole him from uh, Arizona State. He decommitted from Arizona State and went to uh, Boise. So. They're going to have a good team coming back. Um, Just like I said, losing that running back, man. You're losing a first-round type running back. <laughs> so that's just – boys, you can't replace guys like that. takes a while, you know. <laughs> um, it's not Alabama or Ohio State. I can't just pull other five-stars in. Because basically, I mean, Ajayi is not a five-star, but he's leaving a five-star, you know. <laughs> he's leaving as yeah. one of the top running backs in the country. And that's, and that's the Boise thing. They don't come in as five-stars, but they might leave as one. And they've had, a, they've had, you know, Demarcus Lawrence and – yeah, I mean, even yeah. going back to even going back to um, oh my gosh, um, same Eagles. Um, yeah, Titus was a pretty big recruit. Austin Pettis was a big recruit. He's from oh, right. the Central Valley area too. Um, right. You know, we're talking about Fresno State earlier. Austin Pettis, Titus, Titus Young, both California guys. So um, yeah, I mean, and the quarterback thing, I'm not too worried about. They've obviously they had Kellen for four years. That was a super luxury. But I mean, even when they had Zembranski. Um, and other guys uh, back in the day, they were always pretty good. They just, they're just off the team, you know. So I'm not really – Garrett Hedrick really did a good job towards the end of the year. He's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country. Uh, he had a really good game yesterday. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to score their points. They're going to have a chance. Like, you know, like, like James said, it's tough. It's going to be really tough. I, I would say that – Tennessee and BYU have a better chance than anybody, though, especially BYU, just because they play everybody, you know. <laughs> they they play Texas again, I believe, or, or one of the – Oklahoma or something like that. They play Pac-12 schools. They don't play any SEC schools, I don't believe, but, I mean, they play everybody else, you know. So, <laughs> and like I said, they're, you know, nationally known team. They play Notre Dame as well. All their games – I mean, like nine or ten of their games are on national television. You know, um, basically a Pac-12 school in my eyes, but you know they're just playing. and then Pat, Pat Hayden I know is really for smaller schools. That's somebody I know on the committee. I don't know about anybody else, but I know he's for smaller schools. He had a lot to do with Utah coming into the conference, and he was the one that actually wanted Fresno State to come in play in the Pac-12. So, right, you know, strong Pac record, at least with him. You know, so I don't know about the other people, but we'll see. I mean, I don't, it's gonna be tough. I don't know. I mean, this depends. Like, I, I'm gonna ride BYU like I did this year. I just depends on how that leg looks in the middle. <laughs> um, but they're loaded, man. Their defense with Bronson Fui, um coming back. I hope he's coming back. I'm pretty sure he is. Um, for everything I've seen, led by him on defense, and you know, take them on offense. This should be really good. And Bronco Mendenhall is a really good coach too. So I'll ask a similar, similar question to Pete. Is there anybody else you could think of that has a path that could lead them to being in contention? And if you were brought in as a consultant or whatever term I guess we use nowadays by, say, a Mac school or whatever that said, hey, we want to we be in contention. We want to be there. We want to be where, you know, Ohio State is. Do you just tell them, hey, you know, calm down, you know, hey, just enjoy what you're doing now? Or do you actually think there's a way they could 
put themselves into that position where they could play for a national championship? Short answer is no. I mean, there's the biggest reason is, is if you are a program that's good enough to be a contender uh, for a national championship, chances are you're uh, a big enough program and a contender to join a conference and that, that makes the path easier. And right now, I mean, you know, the Big 12 – commissioner made one of the biggest horrible mistakes in recent memory as far as uh, college football is concerned with that co-conference champion thing, you know, and completely screwing himself out of the, out of the playoff uh, potentially. And now they're in a situation where all of a sudden, you know, their one true champion uh, stuff is a bunch of crap and they need to be buyers when it comes to, finding more teams to ensure they can have a conference title game. So, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, if you're the Big 12, BYU, Boise State, Cincinnati immediately jumped to the forefront of, you know, these guys are the most sort of respectable program to say, you know, join the the conference and make sure they've got enough for a champion. So, I mean, if, if, you know, whatever team in the MAC is suddenly good enough where they – can consistently compete. And I think some of it's building a brand, which is why I think, you know, Cincinnati, Boise State, and BYU are reasonable enough that they could make that run because, you know, they aren't unfamiliar. There's a, there's sort of an understanding that these programs can be good, have been good. You know, this wouldn't be a huge surprise, whereas a team like, uh, you know, if all of a sudden, you know, Buffalo goes on a big run, uh, getting getting the the coach they did from from uh, from uh, lower levels, and they they go on you know some huge run. It's it's a very unexpected thing. I mean, you, you know they had that great run under under Turner Gill, uh, but that was to make them you know eight and four. So I mean it's it's tough. But if if you're saying what's the best path to 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 getting there, the first thing you do is call Baylor. I mean, you you call Baylor and you get them to dump one of their horrible week scheduled uh, tiny tiny opponents, and you get them on the schedule. Buffalo uh, has played them the last two years, uh, you know, as a, as a paycheck game. But other than that, I mean, Baylor's non-conference is disgraceful, uh, and and it costs them, and it should cost them. And then to me, it was sort of a little bit of karmic retribution that they got beat by Sparty in part because they didn't play anybody. I mean, they, they don't do much to get themselves ready uh, to play uh, a different conference. They are prepared to do one style of football, which is play against the Big 12, uh, and they are not equipped to do anything else, uh, which which is their mistake. But Baylor would be my first call if I'm trying to schedule somebody because Baylor has got to – uh, if not change it themselves, be shamed into upgrading their schedule. Uh, and there's, you know, certain schools. I mean, if you if you want another school to call, it's Florida. Florida claiming they won't schedule any more uh, FCS opponents. Okay, so then you've got some openings. Uh, right. So you you can you can get a team like Florida on there, and obviously. 
you know, Ohio State, you know, playing Cincinnati uh, is actually somewhat of a risk uh, for them considering that, you know, Ohio State has this weird streak of in-state opponents they've they've beaten. And they've Cincinnati has been a team that almost always comes back and, and tries to take it from them, including the national championship year uh, where they barely escaped Cincinnati. Uh, and then this year when Ohio State was preparing to play Cincinnati in a game, they destroyed the Bearcats. There were a lot of people going, you know, Donor Keel, you know, this this team could sneak up and surprise Ohio State, and and next year they'll probably have a significantly better shot as far as being better to do it. But, I mean, it's – you've got to get the opponents on the schedule. But I think the biggest thing any any school can do is invest in their program enough where you can make yourself attractive to a bigger conference, whether it's – you know, one of these the, – the the conferences that jump out immediately are the ACC and the Big 12. Both teams – both both conferences are buyers right now in terms of trying to get more more uh, high-caliber high programs to, 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 to give them enough to to, to keep – maintain or, or get a championship. And the ACC needs all the help they can get in terms of adding, adding respectable football schools. I mean, Louisville – uh, was a was a, a good pickup even if it's a you know terrible in terms of uh, how it looks grade wise uh, on them. But I mean some of these schools. I mean uh, you know the big the Big Twelve you know going out and getting West Virginia. That's you know that's you know that's a that the best way that West Virginia has a shot to to get to the title since Rich Rod blew it against uh, Pittsburgh. Um, so I mean you've got to schedule, you've got to be undefeated, and you've got to be a known quantity. Uh, the MAC is interesting. You bring them up because they do have a platform uh, with the way they, they, they've got their TV going where they're constantly on TV. And the Mountain West, uh, this is an area where they have really struggled in exposure. Uh, you know, Colorado State has had a good team. Uh, Fresno State was great under with Derek Carr. But it was not easy to find these teams on on TV to watch, whereas the MAC, you know, not only has made it so they've got their teams accessible on TV, but it's it's become somewhat of an event to watch MAC MAC football. Yes, that was their thing. That was the original Thursday night college football broadcast. Was a MAC. <laughs> Broadcast, and I saw it. I saw the original ESPN Thursday night college football broadcast, and it was a Mac. Uh, it was a Mac game. Toledo versus Toledo versus Bowling Green. But yes, I remember. I remember it well. I mean, I don't remember which yes, but yeah, the other team was. But I remember that uh, Toledo Tom Anstutz had just gotten the job, and he had just gotten the job. And Toledo was fun. To, well, it was Mac. It was fun to watch. I mean, that, that, that was their brand. That was. Nationally speaking, that is the match to people. It's Thursday night, and every game goes down to the wire, which is you know slightly an exaggeration, but it seemed like every game went down to the wire. But if, the other the other team, I think, has built itself up where it can make a legitimate run is Central Florida, and I'm Ooh, and I'm wondering if I was wondering if, if, if I mentioned them. Uh, I'm wondering if last year. Uh, if the playoff system was in place, if Central Florida maybe sneaks in and, get, and gets to go, and then you know 
then, then you sort of had that. I, I do think the 18, 18 playoff is where uh, the, 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 the mid-major sort of has its best look and the fact that, you know, when you're an undefeated mid-major, uh, assuming Boise State or, or, or one of those is still a mid-major, when they, when they make that uh, move, uh, you're you're then competing likely against a team that they could have two losses for that eighth spot, and at that point it becomes very difficult to defend putting that two loss team in over the undefeated team, even if the you know mid major were to go and get you know shellacked. I mean, there were so many people who were complaining uh, in in some respect of the idea that Florida State made the playoff. I mean, it was an easily defensible position to put Florida State in, even if they were a pretty average team uh, on TV. They were undefeated. They, you know, you could give them a shot. It's much easier to defend that move than putting in uh, an, an, another team with the obvious flaw, be it you know, TCU, even though, even though history will certainly argue that TCU is a more qualified team. Um, if, it, if it goes the other way where you've got an 18 playoff and this year, let's say Arizona squeaked in, as that eighth team, and then they got spanked. Meanwhile, uh, you know, there's some undefeated mid-major. It just it will not look good. I think, you know, as much as the mid-majors are not represented, and they aren't at all, and, and Pat Aiden doesn't care. I don't care what, you know, what, you know, holistic notion he might have outside of, outside of, uh, uh, you know, a, a forum where it does not help him to uh, – to work for the the, the uh, Pac-12, he's 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 going to be a homer for his conference, and he should be. I mean, that's what he's paid to do. That's why these guys are in there. The Pac-12 and the Big Ten are arguably the most well represented in that room, uh, and 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 you're led to believe that the former coaches seem to have the most sway as far as really leading the discussion, and and who had two former, you know college head coaches with, with a bunch of uh, – with with quite some resume. Well, the Big Ten did. Tom Osborne and Barry Alvarez. So, I mean, you know, it it's becomes difficult to argue with those guys. And, I, I didn't, you know, but so many people say were, were, were able to represent that. And then there are people with the, the conspiracy theory. That may be true that, that, that at the end of the day, you know, uh, the, the Pac-12 guys and the Big 12, Big Ten guys were more or less aligned in the fact that, you know, they with the Rose Bowl relationship that they were sort of rooting, pulling for each other's teams. I don't know how true that is or how much sense that makes, but but then that's why you sort of get the whole uh, Art Bryles complaining that he wants more people with a twang in the room, uh, which is you know he's certainly entitled to his opinion. My my argument would be schedule anyone. And you wouldn't have such a problem as well as as well as uh, obviously having having a, a championship game as opposed to the nonsensical one true champion co champion thing you got this year, and then you get then you go out and lose to to Michigan State. Uh, so it, it's 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 really really tough. You know, I think in addition to everything else uh, with schedule and, and going undefeated and having a reputation and, and being accessible on TV, you have to have, I, th- I think you have to have a star. And the, and the, uh, the and the, uh, the one team that has a star 
out of the group of, of teams we mentioned would be BYU and obviously Taysom Hill if he can come back and be 100% healthy. Um, I think if, say, say, for the sake of argument, let's say BYU goes undefeated, and they have a, you know, they have a very respectable schedule there, you know, uh, playing teams like Texas, playing teams like Virginia, it, you know, they, they have a tough, tough road to, to, to win. But if Taysom Hill is healthy and they win these games and they get out to, a, you know, five and zero, six and zero, seven and zero, you know, networks like ESPN are not going to help themselves but follow the story, which is in that case going to be, you know, Taysom Hill, and that's that can't help but but help but propel them to. Um, the discussion of, of you know, playoff and, and, and the accessibility and, and marketability and everything that goes with that. And as much as maybe the money shouldn't play a role in the, in the decision to the whole FBS playoff thing, um, I think I think it inevitably does, whether it's conscious or subconsciously. And and you know, you have a situation where. You know, it took a long time for them to sell out the Rose Bowl this year, which is, you know, shaming for them. I mean, the the, net, the ratings were great and everything, but it took them a while to, to sell every ticket. And I think from that standpoint, you know, the underdog with star power, in this case Taysom Hill, would, would certainly help uh, certainly help grease the wheels to, to to get a team in. If you're, if you're sort of the, you know, Jay Ajayi was, you know, a great player, but was he a big enough star that, that you know, he would have carried them into that type of spotlight? I, I don't think so. Whereas Taysom Hill, you know, there was already that, sort of that buzz this year before he got injured of, you know, how big of a star he was um, at BYU this year. So, I mean, if he comes back and he's healthy, I think that would be the, the final ingredient you'd need. Hard, hard, to, hard to disagree. And those are three good names. BYU, UCF, and Cincinnati. And it'll be interesting to see if any of those three can position themselves to at least make it challenging, difficult to exclude them. Excellent work. Mr. P. Smith, tell people about what's going on with, with the first pick, what you're doing, what you, where they can find and follow your work. Oh, you can find me at Pete Smith WTFP. Uh, you know, we're chugging along, uh, getting ready to I mean, I'm going to be at the Senior Bowl. I'm waiting to hear back, and hopefully I will also be doing the East-West Shrine game this year. We'll see. Uh, but that, that's that's where we're at right now. Excellent. And Mr. Don and James, tell people where they can find and follow your work and what you're up to, sir. Um, yeah, you can find my work. At, uh, the website's back up. For, for you guys that uh, <laughs> want to find my work, I, you know, RSDN, we were down for a while, but uh, <laughs> change the do- domain name. It's RSDN Report now instead of um, Network or whatever. But <laughs> so that website is up. Um, I do a little bit of work now for uh, Sideline uh, Sports Report. Um, Dedrick Hendricks is a really good guy, and Josiah Turner, those guys added me on. So yeah, there's some work to be had there. Um, I've I've been in Florida, um, you know, at the high school American game. It was fun. It's over. Sad to see it go. Um, <laughs> you guys watched the game. It was definitely a blowout, but there was a lot of fun talent out here. Um, I'll have my top 150 up. Um, 
like all I've been doing is just watching tape <laughs> of high school kids and then talking to them this week and you know getting measurables and uh, you know I'm still waiting for James to get his metric side over um, <laughs> and help me out <laughs> in the high school stuff. But uh, we'll see. But no, yeah, it's been it's been fun down here. Definitely, um, you know, seeing all the players and, and Coach Edwards uh, did a really good job. Herm Edwards and uh, Steve Mariucci. Um, two good personalities um, for for this for this type of job, you know, teaching the high school kids a little bit. Something. But yeah, um, I'm working on that, and uh, yeah, I mean NFL draft stuff, of course. You know, um, mock draft will be up uh, soon. Once once everybody declares, I'm not gonna put on mock draft until everybody declares. There's a lot of names out there. Still waiting for guys like Nelson Aguilar and a bunch of other names um, to declare. He was supposed to make up his mind. Um, Monday, but <laughs> been delayed with that, um, with his parents and girlfriend and stuff like that. So we'll see. I know. I think he, I'm, he's fifty-fifty. I think he'll come back, though. Um, I really do. But we'll see. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And you know, exciting weekend uh, of football. There's still some games tomorrow, and we got the NFL schedule lined up as far as tomorrow and Sunday. So I'm ready to see that as well. I uh, thank you guys for having me on and letting me talk a little bit of recruiting and. Uh, Little, little glad a Pac-12 team made championship. Must say, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I was hoping you could come and drop a little recruiting knowledge. And same question for you, Mr. Coburn. Tell people what you are up to, where they can find and follow your work, sir. Yeah, uh, what I'm up to right now. I'm really close. I'm really close. I have Utah State to. West Virginia? Yeah, West Virginia. So I'll, I'm almost done with the DB uh, spreadsheet in terms of uh, production data and stuff like that. Um, once I get that done, I'll actually finish up my running back metrics article, which I've been working on, which is looking at the class uh, from a metric standpoint, which I think is going to be pretty cool. Um, and then I'm also going to do an article on Burger Dick uh, McKinney, uh, the, the dead parrot complex. So I'm going to be working on that. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. So once I get all this done, it's going to be done, man. And I'm actually going to start to really get more deeper into the tape. Uh, I definitely, um, I mean, I've already done my preliminary rankings and stuff like that already, but I I'll probably finally will start actually working on more final sort of rankings, like like what Donovan said in terms of figuring out all the guys that have uh, declared, not declared, and uh, that kind of stuff. Which declares are always weird. You find out a guy declared, and you're like, really? Declared? Really? When when did that happen? You know, like stuff like that happens a lot. Uh, Figure out guys declared or did declare, you know, you name it. You're thinking you got Nelson Aguilar on your little wide receiver rankings, and then he's gone. He's gone back to school. Like, you don't want that to happen. So, um, you, you want to wait until I actually get it fully announced, so that, that'll be something to look for. But but anyway, so yeah, you can uh, find my work at alperfootballsource.com. I'm also on Twitter at capital J, little N, little C, little O, little B, little E, little R, little N1. And uh, that's about it. I guess I'll talk to you guys, uh, I guess, tomorrow morning or afternoon? Yeah, or? yeah tomorrow afternoon. Okay. Uh, yeah. Once again, as always, gentlemen. It is a privilege, an honor, a pleasure, and let me just say I hope you guys have a safe, prosperous, and productive 2015. I hope everything that 
you wanted to have happen in 2016 that didn't happen come to fruition in this year, and I think everything will be bigger, better, faster, and funnier than ever before. So I thank you all for everything, and we will speak again in just, well, just like a few hours, I guess. Uh, so, yes, we will be 3 p.m. Eastern, which is 2 Central, 1 Mountain, and noon on the Pacific. And uh, we'll have a couple of prospects with us. So uh, those you'll get a chance to get to know some of those gentlemen as well. And uh, check your emails if you haven't already done so. I think I sent out emails either yesterday or today. It's all a blur. I'm full of cough medicine. But I will be, uh, <laughs> I will be uh, talking to you gentlemen very, very soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.